lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates, hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 151 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, August the 6th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee. I do want to thank Leighton Sheldon from Vintage Breaks and Just Collect for joining the show a couple of weeks ago, the weekend before the National. We had a great episode with Leighton. Check that out. It is on the YouTube channel. I also want to thank John Suze and Mark Zablo for joining Hobby Hangout last night, episode two. That was a lot of fun. The next episode of Hobby Hangout will be on Friday, August the 19th. The next episode of Sports Cards Live will not be until two weeks from now, August the 20th. I will be traveling again next weekend, but on the 20th of August, our guest will be Brian Pirip of TikTok fame. Tomorrow on Collectible Live, our guest will be Warren Lawfer from the Mint 10 Fund, Happy to have Warren on Collectible Live tomorrow. That'll be at 7 o'clock Eastern. He's going to provide some really great insights into the way private equity and uh, venture capital, how do they look at the collectibles industry? So that's going to be a really interesting episode tomorrow on Collectible Live, 7 p.m. Eastern on this channel and on the Collectible App YouTube channel as well. Speaking of the Mint 10 Fund, they are an investor in Center Stage who is also a partner of mine. I want to, of course, shout out Center Stage. Make sure to download their app in the App Store. Quick comps, whether you're pricing, whether you're collecting. This is their shirt. This is their logo. They gave it to me at the the National last week. So, of course, I'm proudly donning it for them tonight. Check out the Center Stage app. I do want to thank everybody. I want to thank everyone who approached me at the National, said hello, Uh, Everyone who watches the show, listens to the podcast, I appreciate all of you. As I hope you know, it's uh, it's just it it was just awesome to uh, to hear everybody uh, and and just the to 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 get an understanding of just how much people do uh, like some of these episodes, if not all of them. So I want to thank everybody again for that. The national was awesome. What a great experience! So thanks to everyone. If you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, take a moment and do so. As always, tonight. Your comments, your questions are in play. We have Brian Gray with us tonight. I see him in the background. There he is right down there. Hi, Brian. He'll be out in a minute. The the comments and questions come in fast and furious when we have Brian on the show. So I have to apologize in advance if I cannot get to all of them. But I will do my best. So so thank you for that. Well, let's get to it. Uh, Brian, he's an eight-time Sports Cards Live veteran, one of your favorites. He needs very little introduction, but I will say again, he's the CEO of Leaf Trading Cards. He's a 40-year hobby industry titan from the state of Texas. Let's bring him out. Brian Gray, welcome to, to Sports Cards Live for the ninth time. How are you tonight? Hey, Jeremy. How's it going? Happy to be here. It's one of my favorite one to three hour discussions every time I'm on. It's so great. Normally I'm in bed by now, but like for you, I can talk cards until you can't handle it anymore. So it's great. I love it. Well, I'm sure some people in the audience will be happy to hear that. I'm sure when people see the video tomorrow or the podcast, they're like, what? They went for three hours. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch that thing. I'm not gonna listen to that thing. We'll we'll try and keep it to about 90 minutes today. Um, you were originally you originally told me you were gonna be out of town in San Antonio. And so I kind of assumed we'd go for about 60 to 75 minutes. Uh, 
What's the plan now? Where are you? I, don't know. I mean, I was supposed to be in San Francisco. We did some huge signings. Not going to say who, because one of them is the mystery autograph for Pop Century, which we're announcing Monday. So uh, we got we got that person's autographs today. We got a bunch of monsters. And again, we're already next year's Pop Century. I think it's already better than the one we just put out, which is insane. I mean, I, I don't know how we could already, after like a month, already be ahead of next last year. But I'm so excited. That's my one set. I do everything start to finish. And I take huge pride in that. And it's it's probably been one of my greatest achievements in the hobby is Pop Century. I know you're passionate about it. You talk about it a lot. And I know I know it's one of the ones that you, you really love. So, uh, well, congrats on that, man. And I hope it uh, hope next year's is, it's, hey, Matt, you always want to out, outdo yourself, right? You always want to move forward and, and improve. So if that's the, if you feel that that's going to happen, uh, good on you. Hey, you know, while we're talking about that, I want to I want to shout out a friend of mine, Chris Barr, who uh, who recently joined leaf trading cards he came over from he was with panini for several several years uh you know we talk about continuously improving and i know i know chris i've known him from for years i've known him for i don't know it feels like close to 20 years already just as a fellow collector even before he went to work at uh at panini and uh what does he bring to the to, to the leaf trading cards team for you i mean we've been really blessed because a lot of people see what we do and they realize that we're not the typical trading card company with you know, bureaucracy, right? Whatever it is that comes with being a big, big, big organization. And you'd be surprised how many people that are at other companies call me and ponder the idea of coming this way. And Chris is going to be a great addition. I mean, besides hockey knowledge, I think um, just a different twist because we've had the same core team for years. We really have had the same core team. I just added Josh Pankow, who's going to replace me day to day in the office uh, come January. He was the guy who came up, I think, conceptually with the idea for flawless for panini he was an advisor who came up with that concept so this is a guy who's got some pedigree he's no carbon chung obviously but he's got some pedigree and if you forget just ask carbon he'll remind you but no this guy's got just giving him a hard time i love carbon but no but uh, so adding josh gave us some new perspectives i think adding chris gives us new perspectives and that's our hope is that we don't get so cookie cutter that we lose the edginess and the creativity that we've really been known for. So I think he's a great addition. And uh, I mean, we have a great core team, but it never hurts to add pieces that see things a little differently than we do. Awesome, man. Okay, well, good. I'm, I'm glad I wanted to just shout him out. And uh, it was good to see all of you guys at the National, him included. Before we jump in to the National, let's go to the comments. I want to thank Brian Adams there for, for the contribution. Hope everyone's doing great. The hobby, in my opinion, is as strong as ever. BG, remember that comment when we when we talk about it uh, in a few minutes. Here goes on to say my Otani RC PC is now at eleven. Now I'm saving for an Otani RC Auto. Good luck to you with that, Brian Rocco Rosado. Great to have you, Jake Dahl. I've been getting into more '80s baseball cards. It's fun and don't have to spend a ton. Yeah, that's a strategy for sure, for sure. Rocco says, good evening to all. Sizzling hot August night. No better way to cool off with what should be a great chat about our hobby. Bring it on, Brian and Jeremy. Thank you, Rocco. Always good to have Frank Estella. Good to see you. Brian Adams, thanks you, Brian Gray. Bought a box of Leaf All-American Pro Football. Pulled two one-of-ones. Very nice. Buzzy, what is going on? Welcome to the show. All Valley, welcome. Thank you, Daniel A. Good to see you. Jeff McMahon, great to have you. Glad to be back. Dr evening so excited to have a long close a long dose of reality from brian gray here we go yet again for sure chris see what's going on m perk yeah m perk told me at the national that brian is that your is is our is his favorite sports cards live guest there we go good to have you back with us again m perk 
Albert Jones, good evening. Hey, there's Chris Barr. We were just talking about you, Chris. Richard Zangrilla, what's going on with you, buddy? Good to see you. Chris would have attended the National if it would come to the West Coast. Sorry, but just saying. Well, I hear they're exploring, maybe exploring some new locations. Uh, Mike at Eastridge, what is going on, buddy? Good to see you. Thanks for having me to your trade night two nights ago. Daniel A., Brian is SCL alum. Does he get a jacket like Steve Martin? Yeah, we got to get some SCL jackets for some people. And when you get to five more episodes, you get a jacket. Joe says, will the trend go away for trout cards? Is it a good thing for still investing? Brian, let's talk about trout in a little bit. Not yet. Chris C., plenty of collectors in the West Coast. For sure. For sure. Terry, what's going on? Chris Barr, big things are coming for Leaf. Nice to hear. Triple V in the house. Good evening to you. Lee Haskins is here. I agree. Chicago is the best for the national. DR asked BG a question. Something Leaf employees always, BG is always open for questions. He told me before we went live, I'll talk about anything. So he's always open to it. James, good evening to you. He does love talking card. Darcy in the house. What's up, Darcy? Great to see you, buddy. Eric, good evening to you. Willie T, good to see you. Thank you very much. Buzzy, good to see you. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Brian, the national last weekend, five, six days of, of intense dealing for you. I know. Why don't you just kick us off overall view, thoughts, feelings on the national? I mean, I'm going to just sit back now and listen to you. Um, I'll say first, great crowd for a city that's so hard to travel to, meaning that unless you fly budget airlines where you have to leave a limit home because they charge extra if you take all your limbs. I mean, really, it's a hard place to travel to for a lot of people. And the crowd, I think, was phenomenal. I don't think they released numbers, but it felt as busy as any national ever. The floor was bigger than Chicago. So even then, it felt so busy at points. And it, early in the show, too, like I've never seen a Thursday that was as busy as that Thursday and that Friday. Normally, the show is a Wednesday night, Saturday, Sunday, or what, Saturday, Friday, you know, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday show. But Thursday was a boomer. So I was very impressed by the crowd, which does make me more bullish, I think, on the long-term interest and stability in the category. I mean, it's hard when you see some of the prices dipping like they are generally. It's hard to stay confident and bullish. a matter of fact, it's downright scary to stay confident and bullish right now. But seeing the crowds of people, even though a lot of them were selling, I think it gives me a belief that we might at some point soon hit that new baseline where we can grow back again from because there's just enough interest. And, and I talked to a lot of dealers that had great shows and I talked to a lot that had terrible shows. And if you were willing to sell your stuff at some percentage of comps, you know, 90%, 85%, 95%, you got action. If you were trying to get eBay or higher, you had no action. You know, if you only had museum cards, you had no action or very little action. If you had cards that were priced from, $50 to $1,000, I think you had a lot of action. That seemed to be the sweet spot where most of the action was taking place. Not nosebleed 50, 200K, 100K, 17.4K, whatever people put on these cards. You know, that wasn't that kind of show from what I hear. But again, very bullish coming away from there. The one thing to note is there were a lot of sellers. Um, it's the most money I've ever spent in the national. Um, we spent $920,000 at the national, predominantly on singles. On singles. Predominantly singles, some cuts, some tickets, but very heavy in singles. And um, there were a lot of sellers. So there are people in the market who are nervous and who want to bail. And that's a good sign. 
The only thing I'd like better is if they were truly panicking and just saying, take my cards for whatever you'll give me. That would be my favorite because that would be like the capitulation that would mean we're actually at the bottom. But we're, I think we're closer to the bottom than the top now. Short term, like multi few year vision. So it made me feel a lot better that there was activity. And the number of sellers, while some people see that as a negative, I see it as a positive. Because until there's some fear, you can't find a bottom. When the market's dipping, you will not find a bottom until fear and optimism. Fear needs to really outweigh optimism a little bit for you to hit the bottom. And I think we're getting closer to that. We may not be there yet, but we're getting much closer. Okay. So, so I mean, that that's interesting. I, I wanted to know, like, what were you buying? What were some of the things that, what were you, what are you stocking up on right now? What were you buying? And what were people trying to sell you that you were not interested in buying? Well, I'll say first, I'm not, at this point today, I'm not a buyer as an investment of anything. I'm just being honest. I think we still have some dipping to go in the kind of stuff I want to buy long-term. The stuff I want to own 10 years from now, I think we're going to continue to drop some on some of those assets. So I won't be dipping my toe in the water there personally at the moment. But I will tell you that we've been buying for our buyback products because they're very, very popular. The best of, greatest hits, whatever it is. Those products are getting more and more popular every time we release one. So we need to supply those items in the market. And I think we are, um, I think, I think we're pumping lots of money out there, which is a good thing because it's keeping some of these things rolling that may or may not roll otherwise. But right now, today, again, for the for the assets I'm really looking at for myself, I'm really I'm gonna wait a little bit because I see a lot of I don't 10k plus is where I start calling things nosebleed. They price out the average consumer. All of the assets I'm looking to acquire would be 10k plus assets. None of them are from the last five years, seven years. So it's none of these black prism this or, you know, um, logo man that or, you know, super cut signature this. It's all more vintage assets. And I think all that stuff has some room to come down here. But, and again, I'm looking at Golden. I guess Goldman's tonight. You know, I'm watching some of the stuff like Pat Mahomes Treasures. I think they're underperforming right now. So I'm interested to see how some of those things tick and finish the night. I think that's going to tell us a lot. But I think these higher priced assets absolutely have downside here. And so I'll be waiting a little bit. I want to see a little fear in that space. And then I'll feel much better. We're closer to the bottom and it's a good time to buy. But so much vintage has really gone up a lot recently. And it just feels like it's counterintuitive that in a market where the world economy is suspect, China might invade Taiwan. We got lots of stuff flowing out there that people are not pricing in as risk. I'd like to see a little bit of that fear come into play. Not There won't be panic selling on 51 Bowman mantles because that's the kind of thing I'm looking to add. 51 Bowman mantle. I want a nice high-grade 51 Bowman mantle. Not 52 tops. I want a 51 Bowman, a real rookie card. Yeah. I want one of those. I think that's a good piece of the portfolio. But I just feel like buying these things when the market's up, 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 I think that's a mistake. And if I miss it, there's plenty of other great cards to buy. So I don't feel like I have to buy it today or else, oh, my God, I'm going to miss it forever. I'll just buy something else. What does it, Brian, what does it mean then? You know, you say that, you know, you're, you're waiting for certain things to, to come down a bit more. Yet we're seeing records broken. I think in, I think in the last 48 hours, maybe, maybe 72, we've basically seen the record for the highest price of a trading card uh, sold happen twice. And what I mean by that is we know that uh, I believe Golden placed the Honus Wagner, the PSA 2 Honus Wagner for $7.25 million. And then yesterday when I looked at Heritage on the SGC 9.5 52 tops Mickey Mantle, 
with the buyer's premium, it was it last night it was at seven million three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So it's already beat the golden Honus Wagner record that might have had might have had the title for two days. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing these we're seeing these super high end. Like, we're talking about the the most coveted pieces in the whole industry. We're seeing them sell here uh, this week or or this month at least. I guess the mantle will sell next month, but it's already eclipsed the record. It's already the new record holder. So what does that mean? If, if, if we're seeing these, the high end stuff go up yet, you think we're not yet at the bottom for other things. How does that reconcile for you? I mean, here's the thing. When you talk about assets like that, that's like, even when the housing market was slipping, the penthouse of, you know, the, the greatest high rise in New York still sold for a gazillion dollars because the best of the best of the best that caters to the top 0.0001%, that market is, is um, it's not, it, it does have no relation to the rest of the real world. Those trade, it really only takes a handful of rich guys to buy all these big assets. I'm talking about the stuff that seems counterintuitive for someone that's been in the industry a long time. But what about like when treasures like a treasures, Josh Allen, $88,000. Like that's counter. I have a, I have a problem with that. Not when I can buy a PSA 7 51 Bowman Mantle for that or less. You know, I mean, it's just, there's no, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all to me. And I'm just not going to be able to get my arms around that. And I think those assets, people who own them think there's no chance they're going down. So you, but you're, you're, you're basically distant when you, I think you said Josh Allen, right? Is that what you said? You pick any of these guys. Oh, that's who you said. That's Allen who you said, right? Mahomes. Allen right. Mahomes, John Morant, and he's great I understand. I'm, But I just said, that's what you said. So, you know, you're talking about active players who are still early in their career. All those guys you said are still earlier and early in their career. At least Mahomes has Super Bowl. But yeah, we're, we're when you're comparing Mickey Mantle and Honus Wagner and, and the all-time greats to players who are in their, their first, second, or third year, it's it's tough. So are you are you now moving away from prospecting and i know you've you've had your you've dipped your your toes into that quite a bit are you looking to move away from prospecting well, i haven't dipped into... my toes in i've swam with acuna up i know to i the know point where i've got slab cuts all over my hands from breaking those son of a guns you know that was the war- one of the worst buys i've ever made in the hobby and i bought some doozies you know that was one of my worst buys because i i truly believe that the rotation that base would rotate back in and i was completely wrong Base is not rotating back in anytime soon. Um, I would be a net seller of any base probably. It, unless you're just playing very short term, like you're playing Zion just to see if he's good or not. Like you can have a 50% up, 50% down very easily there. If you're pure gambling, that's fine. But the idea of buying top sub data Cunha's here, I, I would not wish my worst enemy to buy them even at the $50, $60 they're at now. Yeah, they can be 80, but like they're never 200 again, never. The blooms come off the rose. And, and think about this. the I guess the gold standard for base cards. When base cards got hot was when Trout updates got hot. And going to the question earlier, I also would not wish buying Trout on anybody at this stage. We have seen the top in Mike Trout. It's time to sell. If you haven't already, people who are denying that Trout needs to be sold here, as long as there's those deniers, you probably should be selling yours. Once everybody says, you know, you're right, we probably should sell him, it's too late. But the fact is, the guy's never going to be the same. He's not going to run the same. He's not going to hit the same. Nothing's going to be the same because once your life or your uh, quality of life becomes a risk long term, you change how you do things. And I think Trout's not going to be the same player. 
Were people yeah, offering you trout at the national? Yeah, a lot of people were selling trout. There were a lot of, and I bought a lot of autographs. I'll be honest with you, I did buy a lot of autographs for our repacks because when you're buying them for 400 bucks a piece or whatever it is, that's a solid card for someone to pull out of a pack. They like that. I'm talking about buying these Bowman Chromes where the autograph fades off the card. Go look how many of those autographs are starting to fade off. Like that's a card that should not be owned here. Autograph trouts should not be owned at these prices at all. You've seen the best. And generally, when guys retire, their stuff actually softens up, doesn't get better. Go ask Jeter. Go ask a lot of these guys. Their stuff's actually softened up a lot because there's no new stimulus and excitement around them. It's all in the books. And yes, for buying 51 Bowman Mantles and uh, 54 K-Lines, and I, don't, I wouldn't buy K-Line, but you know what I'm saying. When you're buying these iconic cards, whatever they are, Thank you me. know, 55 Kofaxes, for example, those are really cooked in. There's a big difference between that and Mariano Rivera or Derek Jeter or even Michael Jordan. I mean, I think there's it's going to take more time for them to really feel vintage because they're from our era. And I think part of vintage, you know, it's funny. We're talking about 83 Gwens, me and someone today on the phone. I was like, that card's 40 years old. Like that really should be vintage at this stage. But the problem is I collected that right about when it came out. So, like, to me, it's not going to feel like vintage until I'm an old geezer, which I'm on my way to quite quickly. So I just think the way we think about a lot of this has to change. I think base, I think base isn't going to rotate back in because the poster child's maybe broken. The trout card may be broken, tops up made. I could see that card cutting in half, which sounds unbelievable, but it really could cut in half. Which is already think, done. Yeah, well, it's getting worse. I mean, I'm buying them now where I used to never buy them for repacks because people would never want to sell them at the right price. Now they want to sell them. But I, but I think I would be a seller on him. But generally, I just feel like base has been my worst investment ever. You know, base post-1990 has been my worst buy ever. I won't do that again. Lesson learned, right? Okay. I want to, uh, let's go to a couple comments here. We've got some some good comments, questions coming in. First of all, hello to you, Michael Ham. Great to see you. Tyson wants to know, does Brian Gray think I'll see Michael Jordan in tops cards again? No. Okay, good. Lee I think Haskins. you're more likely to never see Jordan on any cards ever again. All right. Let's go to Lee Haskins. He said, I heard a lot went through. I, I Sorry. I heard a lot went the week, the before. A lot of people went to the show before the, before the weekend due to high hotel costs on the weekend in Atlantic City. A lot of people left on Friday before the weekend, which might explain what you were saying earlier about uh, Wednesday, Thursday being really busy. I found Wednesday to be pretty busy as well. Uh, Steve Menzi wants to know what inning are we now in Brian for what the great thing is on any given night there's a lot of games going on and they're all at different stages of the game so in the past like when I first started calling for this massive rise and it was before it happened I called it like I think at 2018 industry summit I predicted a multi-year bull market the likes of which we've never seen now I was very lucky it turned out to be true but I just saw some percolating. I liked what I saw. We got too hot too fast. So with that being said, I think in terms of thinking that every card is going to the moon just because every card goes to the moon, that's that game is not only over, but the stadium's empty. It's not a no-brainer now. The no-brainer era is over. The no-brainer was, was 2020 COVID to 2021 fall. That was the no-brainer period. But then the no-brainer got stupid because when something's a no-brainer, everybody piles in. And then it becomes a brainer. So if you're looking for a no-brainer, I'll just buy cards and throw darts to the dartboard. 
save yourself some money, stay home and watch the post game on television because the game's over. You're going to get there. No one's going to be there. Um, if you're looking for a game now where there's going to be some mispriced assets again, we're going to get closer to that where people throw the baby out with the bathwater and they throw away good cards because they're scared because a lot of cards may not be investment worthy that we thought were. And so I think you're going to see assets become mispriced again. For me, I've been putting money in tickets because that's where I saw mispriced assets. And so I've been buying mainly tickets over the last six months or a year, not these debuts and crap, but like Otani rookie year, Trout rookie year. Sounds funny, Trout. But whoever it is, rookie Emmett Smith rookie year, Barry Sanders rookie year, because debut tickets are thousands, but their second game is like $30. That's very, that's not right. That's wrong. Now, maybe the debut should not be 4000 but the second game shouldn't be 30 Those are mispriced assets. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for assets that are mispriced. I don't care where they are, whether it's tickets, VCR, tapes, video games, whatever people collect now. I'm just looking for assets that are mispriced. And card assets are about to become mispriced. I'm curious, Brian, what should a second year, a second game be compared to a debut ticket? I mean, to me, first off, the debuts are too high. The the debuts have run up like trading cards and they're going to come back down. You're already starting to see, like in Golden and Heritage, debut prices have softened up. Now, with that being said, I also think an Emma Smith debut shouldn't be three or four thousand. It should probably be one thousand or eight hundred, and the second game should probably be a hundred dollars. And right now, it's twenty, thirty, fifteen. I mean, I bought Otani rookie year tickets for two dollars on eBay at one point, like eight hundred of them, because they were just all over the place. And now they're fifteen dollars because I bought every one that was cheap. But the point was that was a mispriced asset when his debut was two thousand, three thousand. So, I mean, again, who knows? But you're at about 10% then for game two versus game one. I think, and again, I think game two, we're still early if the game is mispriced assets, because all that that needs to require is demand. As long as there's demand in an area, that game could go on for decades. It has, because over the last 40 years, we've had mispriced assets all over the place. It was vintage until three years ago. When I would go on Twitter and say, I'm buying every Jerry Rice rookie right now on eBay at $50 for PSA 8s. Then they got up to $300. Now they're $200. Those were mispriced assets, and they've been in the market for 35 years. And they were mispriced in 35 years. They stayed mispriced the whole time. So, like, a hobby can be decades and be mispriced for decades. And so as long, if all you're looking for is just enough demand in the market to give you the opportunity to buy or sell or trade or speculate. We're very early in that game, if that's the game. If the game is, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm just going to throw money at something and make money because that's what you do in crypto and cards, right? That game's over. Yeah. So, And that's it. If you're willing to invest the time, do some homework, and do not think about things like every other person. When I walk around the National, everyone's saying, how much do you want for that Herbie? How much do you want? It's like the same seven names every guy's bought. That model is going to break you. Because you're chasing assets that are going to end up hurting you at some point. There's got to be a better way. And it's not chasing 80, 45 star Jordans. It's probably chasing the next three rookies in star. Or saying, if they're grading 80, 45 star, they're going to grade 83 and 86. Maybe I need to be buying. And I did spend a lot of money on star rookies. And not even just the rookie card, but every card of Barkley in star. Every card of Olajuwon in star even like Court Kings and Crunch and Munch, all these weird sets. Yeah. Because I believe people will see those things as pre-rookie cards once PSA starts grading. And I think the demand doubles from here. 
I think that's one of the few things I see mispriced. Because I was buying BGS9, like Barkley star cards from like, um, what was that? Court Kings for like $120 or something stupid, $130, $140. I'm like, that's before his 86 Fleer. It's very scarce compared to 86 Fleer, even with some of the questions about reprinting or whatever. It's still very scarce. To me, that's a mispriced asset. And I think that's what we have to be looking for is don't get caught in this. I've got to go buy Herbie Burrow. You know the seven guys they're all buying. They're buying the Ovechkin. They're buying the same seven guys. Everybody buying the same seven guys. Don't also go for the young rookie who no one's buying because there's probably a reason no one's buying them. Find those assets in the middle because the middle is where things get ignored. People speculate on assets that they think are way too cheap, and they're usually garbage, which is why they're so cheap. And they speculate on assets that are way too high. And what happens is the middle gets ignored, and that's where I'm trying to play right now. It's kind of in the middle, minus like 51 Bowman Mantles and things like that. So so you were set up at the Leaf booth in the corporate area, taking appointments. People were coming up to you, selling you their cards. I walked by a few times, saw you there working on some deals. Were you walking the show floor as well? Did you have any time to get out and walk through the vendors and look at the booths and the showcases? I spent all day Tuesday, the first half of the day Wednesday, and then all day Sunday doing the floor. And my thought process was, I'm going to go through and pick up low-hanging fruit the first day and a half. Anything that's marginal, I'm not buying. Because I did believe prices would be cheaper on Sunday than they were if they're Wednesday, and I was correct. For the most part, there was motivation on Sunday from a lot of people for the kind of stuff I was buying, under $1,000 stuff. There were people motivated to turn stuff on Sunday. So I only bought no-brainers, low-hanging fruit, stuff where I knew the sellers were motivated and their stuff was going to disappear because they are that way. And... So, you know, I bought a lot of stuff that way. And then Sunday, I cleaned up a ton. I bought more Zion rookies on Sunday than I bought in the last five years, three years since it came out, whatever, because I found a few sellers who were ready to bell. And for what I do with the stuff in repacks, it made sense to take a little gamble at 75% of comps for graded Zions. I was like, I can gamble at that for a short term. Okay. So what I wanted to know, you know, you're out there walking the floor and you were talking to v to, to various vendors and that so chris c makes the comment here he says dealers i heard were way over comps on most everything now brian i spent five days walking the floor talking to dealers i wasn't set up in the corporate booth taking appointments to buy cards mm -hmm. i was on the floor and um you know i, I my perspective i'll share my perspective then we'll get to yours but my perspective was not what chris c is saying um because he says most everything which to me is what that's 99 of everything on the floor so I, I was able to see cards that were very fairly priced. I think, I think, I think if you, you have, obviously you're going to have some dealers and vendors at every show across the country all year long in any year who are selling cards for more than what comps are, because, you know, you, it, it's not like you could only buy at the peak in 2021. We've had peaks before in the hobby. So you're always going to have people who are not going to sell their cards for what the last few comps on eBay and other marketplaces have been. So I think it kind of, and the reason why I, I even want to address the comment is because I don't, I think it discourages people from going to card shows or from going to the nationals. And the fact of the matter was, um, and Chris, he says, I heard, so he wasn't even at the show, but you know, it depends who you're hearing from as well. Are you hearing from people that are only out there looking to buy Lucas and Trouts and, you know, those players who are really, the, the prices were super pumped up and now have come back to, to, to earth a little bit. Um, and people may not want to sell those cards, and that's okay. You don't have to sell your cards if you don't want to. Uh, but for I, I think where this where the comment may not apply is where 
for cards that are not the commodity type of cards. Commodity type cards that were purchased in the last 24 months, it might be hard for people to move them unless they're willing to lock in that loss, redeploy those funds into something else and try just try a different angle. But for cards that are that are not commodity type cards, so that are more scarce, um, you know, comps aren't always as important. They're, they're certainly instructive, but I was able to do deals for on cards that I thought were very well priced, fairly priced. Um, even at times you couldn't even check comps, which was a, a whole other issue. So I want to put it back to you now, Brian, what was your perspective on people's asking prices relative to, to comps? And is there a distinction between commodity type cards and the way they're treated on the show floor versus non-commodity type cards? Well, I think part of it, I can tell you with my strategy when I go to a show like this, there's so many tables. So my strategy is I walk up. First off, no one has their stuff priced half the time. And it makes me so frustrated. Yeah. It makes it too hard because, again, like I walked to a guy like Sean Lemus, who was set up across from Leaf. First booth I went to on Wednesday or Tuesday, and I spent $68,000 at his booth. This stuff's priced. It was priced at comps two days before the show. And we had a set percentage of comps. I could buy anything on his table at that set percentage of comps. And I just started, I think I walked away with like 12 shoe boxes of crap. So like, that's what I like. A lot of guys aren't priced. So when I walk up, what I'll say is, okay, how much is this? How much is this? How much is this? Three cards. I know the comps because I buy everyone on eBay. And if they quote me 20% over comps, I'm cruising. If they quote comps, then I say, listen, are you motivated to move stuff? I'm at 85% or 80% or whatever it is. And then we're able to figure it out real quick. I found most people were, were asking, there were two dealers there. One dealer had everything priced at current, at the most recent comp or close to it. And the other guys priced their stuff six weeks ago and didn't reprice it. And everything is so badly priced that I don't know how they sold anything if they did have it priced. Or they would tell me, oh, they'd flip it over, they had a price back and say, oh, the last comp was 480. I look up and say, well, actually, the last comp was 277. So they haven't priced it in six months, two months, three months, one month. Who knows how bad the market's gotten? So we'll see. But like whatever it is, I found there were two types. Of, most people were dead on comps. And you had to work to get the discount. And the other half were like stupid. Like they would have a card literally like John Morant PSA 10 at 230. They sell at 140 to 150, maybe 160 occasionally. So like clearly that guy had made no effort to price it correctly. He, he remembers what he paid. He probably paid 200 when he got hot last year. So he priced it at 230. You know, so... Yeah, there were people overpriced, but there always will be. I mean, think about it. I mean, they're always you want eBay, there's, and when you want eBay, there's one guy that's the cheapest and 80 guys that aren't the cheapest. So are those 80 guys overpriced? Well, I guess compared to the cheapest, they are. But what I didn't see is I didn't see people have stuff on their tables at 75% of comps marked. Like, it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't a flea market or fire sell. People generally mark their stuff at comps or... They had their comps totally screwed because they looked at them six, eight weeks ago and don't bother to reprice it or whatever. So when people say it's overpriced, yeah, if you look at that sticker, there was stuff that was ridiculously overpriced. I found about 80 or 90% of the stuff to be priced around comps. That's a big percentage. That's a big percentage. And again, I'm not paying that except a few cards. There are a few cards I pay comps for, but because I buy every one that goes on eBay. So yeah, I guess if a Ricky Henderson PSA 7 is on the table at comps, I'm going to buy it because I buy every one on eBay. Literally every single copy I buy, if it's right around comps, and I don't raise it, it's 120, 120 or less, I'll buy a thousand of them. It's just what it is. So like, you know, yeah, but I think people generally price fair if fair if comps are fair, but you did have to work to buy stuff below comps. 
guys weren't just giving stuff away. It wasn't like that at all. Now, when they came up to sell me stuff, there were some guys that gave some stuff away. And I don't know if it's because they like selling to me because I'm very charismatic and handsome, or if it's because they saw, hey, this guy will pull out 100K, 200K, 500K, whatever, and just drop it. That I have no problem spending any amount of money for whatever. If I want it, I'll buy it. And so I think some people will say, hey, you know what? Screw it. I'll do 75%. I just want to move stuff. And I know this guy can spend 10, 20K. I can go deploy that money better. But you brought that up. That's the right way to think sometimes. Because if you buy a bad stock, you bought Netflix at 500 and it's now at 200. You can say, oh crap, I paid 500. I'm not locking in that loss. Or you can say, I'm smart enough to deploy that money better. Because if you wouldn't buy Netflix at 200 today, you shouldn't own it. And that's how I feel about cards. If you have, um, if you have, let's say, a um, Zion Prism that you paid 354 last year. If I said, hey, would you like to buy a Zion Prism for 150? If you wouldn't buy it for 150, you shouldn't own the one you got, probably. That's really how I try to think about assets I hold. If I'm not willing to buy them at that level, unless I really have this big diversified portfolio and I'm overweight, generally, if I'm not willing to buy it, I should be selling it. And I think that's an attitude that people are maybe starting to come around to. It's it's a hard attitude to adopt for me because you already have the card. Would I go buy it for the price I can sell it for? Probably not. Would I buy it again? Probably not. Would I sell it for that price? Probably not. But that's because the, the collector. Gene, and, and guess what? The collector the Titanic, strong. The Titanic was full of people who didn't want to let go. Yeah. <laughs> and they just went right down with the ship. So it happens. It happens. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, let's go to a couple comments here. Uh, Mark Santucci, it was very nice to meet you at the Sheraton as well. I appreciated that. Len Cap, Jeremy, love the show. Thanks for buying the Elsa. Yes, I bought a Frozen card at the National for my daughter. An I Elsa card. Thank you, Lenny. You were a pleasure to deal with. DR, uh, speaking of the best, would Leaf ever do a Top Gun product? You mean Top Gun like the movie? The movie. Yeah, I mean, if Tom Cruise said, hey, I'll sign, we probably would. Sure. The odds yeah. of that happening are 0.00, like Blutarski's grade point average. Tyson wants to know, do you think when Tops comes back in, uh, there will will there be a run-up on people's Tops rookie cards? I mean, I, again, this goes to the base argument, unless you're buying stuff that's 30, 40 years old. I don't know why. Like, why do people buy Wander Tops two base rookies when they come out at ten or fifteen dollars? Do they not know that it's going to be three dollars or five dollars? It does this every time. Every year, it never every does year. it. It never doesn't do it. Tatis four tens. Pick your card. Every one of these cards goes down. It's like I don't understand how many times you get kicked in the butt before you realize that you're about to get kicked in the butt again. Because it happens every time. And so to me, I just don't see, I don't see this massive run-up. Now, what I do see is, I do see, like someone said in the comments I saw earlier, I do see people taking big parts of their collection, mass amounts of cards, and turning it into, even if they're not nosebleed, like a 55 Kofax PSA 5. Like they'll take a bunch of like 60 and 50 and $40 cards and turn them into a nice $1,500 Kofax. A card you can be proud to own, and you have virtually no risk long-term and will probably outperform similar assets. Here's a question. I'm going to go to this question that just came in. I, I'm well behind in the comments. There's so many of them coming in. So if you guys are, uh, you'll know we're behind. Uh, here's what you said. We'll talk about anything. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, what did JH says, what did you do, Brian, that sports card radio hates on you so much? 
You know what's funny is these guys, I, and I used to I used to dislike them more than I do. I, I really don't dislike them. I think they're very clever at what they do. Um, they're clickbait guys, which is fine. I mean, listen, their whole business model is get a bunch of people to click on the on the video or on the ad or whatever. It's their website, which has advertising all over it, and it generates revenue. I mean, hello, that's a classic business model that a bunch of companies made a lot of money doing. So I think I think the reason you'll see them talk about me quite a bit is A, because I, I, I think I used to be more polarizing than I am now, because I'm probably a little less controversial today than I was five years ago. But I think the other thing is I come out and talk publicly about stuff. See, what fun is it to like bully on someone who doesn't say anything back to you? Like, that's no fun. And who's going to click on your article? Like if they came out and said, huge scandal, Ultra Pro reduces the quality of its top load by 0.0004 mil. No one's going to click on that. But when you come out and say, oh, Leaf, he, he's not making any money. He's broke. Like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, number one. I think you know that already. But, like, for real, like, I would click on that. I did click on it. I said, how does he think I'm broke? We're going to make this year 15 times the profit we made in 2019. Like, you're nuts. Our company is worth a lot of money. Like, and I, it's fine. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that shows you. I heard them say on a show once that David Liner, the president of Tops, makes $60,000 a year. That is also among the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. First off, I think I only have five employees that don't make more than $60,000 a year. And I have multiple employees that make multiples of that. You know, it's ridiculous. So, like, with that being, I just, I listen to this stuff sometimes because I just got to hear it from my own self, how they came up with that. So, I think the reason you'll hear them pick on me. It's because I'm vocal enough that I'll call them out on it. And I used to do it on Twitter, but then I realized every time I called them out, it would get them more eyeballs because people want to see what they were talking about. So then I just laugh it off. It's fun. It's all fun and games. You know, I, I'm not going to stoop to the level of going on and picking on the things that I could pick on about them. It's just, I got to focus on doing good at Leaf. That's it. I used to, I used to be more excited or interested about it, but my wife was like, Brian, why do you care? And I said, well, you know, I work hard to have a good reputation and do everything right, whatever. And you know what she said to me? First, she gave me the wife answer, which is, babe, you know the kind of guy you are. Oh, that's all great. But she knew that wasn't doing it. So she said, Brian, look at the scoreboard. And I looked up at the scoreboard and said, oh, I won. <laughs> you know, I'm in good shape. I'm up by 40. They're not catching me, these guys. So it's okay. You know, all fun and games. I love, listen, I actually don't mind them because I think they say some things that are pretty smart. The problem is most of it is not based in fact, or a lot of it's not. I mean, distributors losing distributorships, that's based in fact. Some of the breaks I see where guys like sneak the card out and stuff, like that's based in fact. I have eyeballs. I watch the videos. I've busted scammers who scam people on Leaf product. I've proactively busted them and made them take care of customers because I watch that crap. But a lot of the speculative stuff, watch how people say things. Word on the street is, or we've heard that. We got an email from someone that said, it's never, we are saying for a fact, blank. Because when you say things like that, that's a different story. So you won't ever hear that. But listen, I love I love people. If we generate excitement in the hobby, it's great. I just don't, I don't think I'm going to slander anyone. I think I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, good good call, good call. Uh, Buzzy makes the comment, says, people go after BG because success has enemies. BG is an asset to the hobby. Uh, and then Jay, who posted the question at first, as I thought it was all the Becca grading scandals. Well, I don't know if you're they started, they started with something there. And you know, it's, it, this is again, the kind of thing that 
I think as a hobby, we have to kind of like take a step back. And there's guys like um, sports card investor Jeff, who he says, we all just should be positive only. We should never be negative. We should never. See, I don't agree with that. There's a time to hold people accountable. But doing so in a respectable way is fine. For example, someone said, hey, I think Leaf or one of their employees has this hot inside guy at Beckett. That was a speculative thing. Start on the blowout boards or whatever. The problem is, even when you show people, it's never enough. Like Joe Clemens gave someone on blowout the password to his Beckett account so they could see every card he's ever submitted and the grades on every card. What do they do? They talk about three orders where all the tens have been bunched together. They don't mention the other 8,000 cards that were nines or worse. So you don't hear that. And so then when we were in the upper deck case, we were deposed. Us and Beckett were deposed because upper deck, for some reason, thought that was relevant to our issues with upper deck. And they asked me, Joe Clemens, Beckett, does Leaf have any advantage over any other dealer in the grading process? Everybody under oath swore no. But these guys who have a web show, who know nothing, have never seen a thing in their life, no better. Then three guys that swore under oath who all make millions of dollars, their businesses, me and Beckett, whoever, we all make millions of dollars. Like we're going to go lie under oath about something like that when we're making millions of dollars. Like that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. But of course, two guys in Stockton who rent a car, who rent a Tesla and have a fake Rolly or whatever, or the real ones, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're showers anyway, even if they're real, they know better. Like, that's just dumb. I hate stuff like that. All right. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. I'm so frustrated. I'm telling you. Let's move on. That's fine. Uh, Jim wants to know, uh, any thoughts about cricket and rugby cards, which I'll tell you, I mean, I'm hearing more about this stuff than I've ever heard before in the last few months. What are your thoughts, Brian? You can keep it quick. We're looking to sign some guys for our multi-sport sets, but I don't think we'll go full bore there because the collector base isn't strong enough yet. But I do think some of the cricket players, there's probably four or five cricket players that need to be on cards. What about the vintage stuff? I mean, the problem is I don't like who made a lot of it. Like, I don't want to buy Futera product. I don't want to buy – I'm just not a fan. And I'm not – you know, I just – I don't believe in that stuff long term. So I don't think anyone – I don't think the right people have made cards yet. But, again, if Topps made Topps Chrome Cricket, there's probably four guys I'd spec on. Because it could be like F1 except Americans don't watch cricket. They watch F1. And I don't think they're going to watch cricket because it's tough. It's tough to watch. Doesn't it last a couple days? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we we All cry right. about baseball lasting two and a half hours. We think worth cricket for three days test match. Get that out of here. All right, Michael Ham wants to know what are your thoughts on the Star Jordan card and its uh, its status as the true rookie card, or is the MJ is the eighty six Flair still the true rookie card? I can sum it up in one sentence. I'm looking to buy fifty one Bowman Mickey Mantle because I think people have missed. Again, I think this is a mispricing in the marketplace. That card in a PSA 10 will be a very hard card to acquire. Very hard. So what are you saying? What are you saying? I think Star Jordan, either the Star Jordan is way underpriced or the 86 Fleer is massively overpriced. But what about the status as rookie card? I think I think those I think that card was it was licensed by the NBA. It was the quite the only reason it's not a rookie card is because they Beckett doesn't consider it widely distributed. Yeah. Because the rule is for Beckett, because again, I've been around a long time. I'm here in Dallas. We talk about this between me and Beckett over the years many times. It's got to be, for them, rookie cards are, and I don't even think it has to be licensed. See, that's, there's a question about licensing now. That's changed. But let me, let me, Brian, hold on. Let me jump in. Let The Beckett definition of a rookie card, I think, needs to be 
edited or adjusted. It was written in the 80s, though. The whole hobby, the structure of sets have changed. There weren't parallels. There weren't inserts back then. I mean, there were some, but right. It's all changed. Just yes or no. Is the 86 Fleer the true rookie card? To me, no. I think 84, 85 star was the first licensed card of the player. To me, there's no question there. The question is, can a Leaf card be a rookie card when it's not licensed? That's a better question because then there's some ambiguity. This was licensed. This was available nationwide. Just no one wanted it. So so if you think that the 84 star is the true rookie card, then the 86 Fleer simply isn't. It's just his first Fleer card. Theoretically, yes. And I think that should be the philosophy out there, but it's not. And the problem is it's like prohibition. Once people are, have this certain way of doing and thinking about things, it's very hard to change how they think about things or their habits. You can't take away alcohol once you give it to them. And I think once people accept that as his rookie card, it's like 52 tops. That has never been his rookie card. Yet people still act like 52 tops mantles or 51 Bowman mantle or 51 Bowman maze. Should be a very highly desirable card. That's also on my list. Because these are real rookie cards and people are stupid. They just they just call cards rookie cards that aren't. And, and I think that's a piece of there's some inefficiencies that are created by that. All right. And if PSA starts grading all-star, you're going to see a whole new world. You the way people view those cards could be completely different. Do you think an 86 player is the rookie card? I've you know what my position is now is that I don't care. I think they're both. I don't very- I think they're both very important cards. I'd be, you know, I, I have an 86 Fleer. I don't have a Star 101. I'd love to have a Star 101. I think it's a very important card and it would complement the other one. Uh, I don't care anymore, which is the actual rookie card, but people still want to talk about it. And, you know, your opinion was was uh, was asked for. So I'm happy to, to put a few. Yeah, I'm with you, though. I don't think it matters. We buy cards based on what we think. Of. 92 Stadium High Brett Favre has always been better than 91 Stadium Brett Favre. Right. 92 yeah. Bowman Chipper is better than 91 Bowman Chipper. Does it matter which one's a rookie card? Does it really matter? People buy and sell cards. It doesn't matter. Let's go back to the National. I want to talk about hockey for a second because from my perspective, Brian, I saw five to ten times the amount of hockey this year than I'd ever seen before. What's your thoughts on, on the position of hockey within the overall uh, hobby right now? There's more. There's more, there's more hockey out there now. I think there's more people buying it. And I think, you know who I think we give a lot of that credit to is Ovechkin. Because I'll be honest, a lot of guys who never bought hockey are buying, started buying Ovechkin when he started really moving up. And then that became contagious. That's at the same time where you saw like really Connors and Crosby's and these other things really take big jumps. Austin Matthews became like a solid card in the low thousands. You know, 1300, 1400, 1200, whatever it was, it was six, 700. It took that jump at the same time. So you see a lot of people started specking on hockey when Ovechkin made his move. So I, I actually credit him with being a lot of the crossover, the non hockey guys buying hockey. And now they're starting to spread out. I haven't seen vintage, like I haven't seen the US card guys really start buying vintage a whole lot, but they are buying the newer hockey in a bigger way than I've seen them in the past. Yeah. Which also, if I'm investing in current hockey, I'm not buying any rookies. I'm only buying Gordie Howe on-card autographs and Bobby Orr on-card autographs. Maybe some grad seats, but they're already overpriced. But like to me, Gordie Howe on-card autographs, where he wrote Mr. Hockey that are under $200, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. How can those cards be $170 or $200? How could that be? 
We just saw Bill Russell go to $1,000. I'm telling you, those Gordy Howes with those inscriptions are freaking amazing. They are. Love those cards. But I, at this stage, I can't buy an Ovechkin Young gun at these prices. I don't get it. I mean, how do you buy that? Yeah. Brody the kid. Let's say hello to Brody the kid. What's up, Brody? Hey, Brody. Good, to Good to see you as always. Okay, let's keep on going. Lots of comments. I can't keep up with them uh, tonight, as 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 anticipated. So we'll get we'll get to some of them. Cards and Comics said the vintage dealers at the National were way overpriced. I talked to most of the vintage guys there, and they are swimming in inventory. Uh, any comments on that, Brian? I mean, honestly, if anyone in the room deserves to probably be a little overpriced, it's the vintage guys. Graded especially. Now, what I did notice is guys who had raw vintage, they were overpriced. They priced the cards like they were near mint when they were X. They priced the cards like they were X when they're VG. You know, that's always been the case, though, in hobby. People have always overpriced raw. But I think the graded vintage, especially the rookies and such, if there's anyone in that room who deserves to be overpriced, it's Clemente rookies and Kofax rookies and even Ryan rookies, Reggie rookies. You know, you can go to that level. Seaver rookies, career rookies, Carlton rookies. You name your guy. Those cards deserve to be overpriced if anything does. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Perk's uh, comment here. If I approach a table and they don't have their stuff priced and I see a card I want, I'll make an offer. If they counter, we go from there. If they scoff at me, I don't counter or counter high. I move on. Fair fair approach, I would say, sure. right there. Um, okay. Gosh, you guys are on fire tent out there. Let's go to Ankesh's comment. BG, what do you think about this industry? What do you think it is about the industry that causes so many people to look for outside opinions to influence their buy-sell decisions? It's it's for a lot of people, it's like stocks. Really drilling down to understand all the elements of a card as an investment. It's too daunting for most people. Most people want to be part of this market and participate, and they can watch TV and see Herbert's good, but he's got 188 rookie cards. Like, we've made this so cloudy and muddy that even people who care have trouble sometimes discerning what the best move is and how many different parallels there are. And, you know, there's lots of issues, and I'm not picking on any brands, any brand stuff. It's just one brand makes basketball and football, which is where all the action is. You know, so I think that's an issue. I think... Honestly, you probably, if you can find the right person, I don't think it's bad to listen to people's opinions. I think these outside opinions are very good. And sometimes when every guy tells me something is a screaming buy, I'm out. Because again, I'm a believer that when everybody believes, the asset will either very soon be overpriced or it's time to sell. And generally I sell into strength now because, you know, with limited exceptions, when everybody's buying, it's probably time to sell. And I just think, but I would listen to these people because there are some very smart people who have good opinions. The problem is if a guy's been in the card business for under 10 years, I would be a little more cautious with his opinions. I would listen to someone who's been around for 20 plus years who has done it all. And I'm not just saying me, I'm saying there's a lot of guys who are really smart. There are guys who are really smart who know cards for real. Not just know like momentum. Like when you buy Mahomes, you're buying momentum. When you're buying, you know, pick your guy who's hot right now, right? You're buying momentum. You don't have to be smart about momentum. Those are the guys that trade stocks based on a chart. You don't know anything about the underlying business when you trade a chart. So if you're going on market movers or alt or one of these sites and looking at that chart to give you information or looking at the trends, trends are garbage. Because trends, that's why every ad says past performance is not indicative of future results. Mm -hmm. So if you're relying on trends, you're screwed. I'd rather listen to someone who is 
constantly like when they sit in their hot tub, like I do, they're sitting there brainstorming. What are people missing? Like, I'm really trying to think of what people miss. And like, I'll come up with stupid ones like 2014 Prism Mookie bets. Like that was a rookie card. They were $3 when I started buying them. Now they're like 20 or whatever, 30, but like they were $3. And I was like, how can a Prism, a popular brand Mookie bets be $3, but a Chrome is 40 or 50. I know one's licensed and one's not, but that's still, a, there's still a, a disconnect there. So again, that's what I'm looking for. And I hope you don't have to be a contrarian even, but whoever you're listening to, let them give you some real reason besides they're going up as a reason to buy them. Let them give you like, I would say sell Pat Mahomes right now. I love Pat as a player, but he's priced for perfection and he doesn't have Tyreek Hill to stretch the field. There's a real chance he takes a major step back. You have to sell him. And and even if you love him, you buy him back later. There's a better chance than not that he will take a step back this year. So like there's a fundamental reason why I can see getting rid of Pat Mahomes short term. If you love him long term, buy him back. But like, there's an argument there. But if I just say you should sell Pat Mahomes because they're going down, like there's no fundamental reason to be concerned about that. Someone loves these dating. Some dating service keeps coming in. They must have heard I was on here. Yeah, and they're I, trying to market me to the masses. I love it. I nip, I try and nip that in the butt as fast as I can. I think I've been successful so far tonight with them. Uh, okay, man, this is, uh, we, we could go for hours tonight, Brian. Lots going on here. Uh, well, I appreciate I appreciate your response to Ankesh's uh, question there. Thank you, Ankesh, for that one. Uh, Mike Truman wants to thank you for bringing back ProSet. The auto hockey set is a thing of beauty. Love it so much. Very nice, Mike Truman, for that. Well, Bill here wants to know any hints if we'll see a ProSet Stanley Cup hologram tribute in the near future. Not a Stanley Cup because we don't have the rights to the cup as a company without a license. But we are looking at holograms for something else in each of the sports that would be interesting. Stay tuned. We're looking at that. But again, we also want to make sure if we do the hologram that it's more stunning than the old 1990 holograms, which were kind of, they're cool now, but they were kind of like, they're kind of like so 30 year ago technology. We want to knock people yeah. over when they look at it. It now. is. It is. And, and it is. Uh, Mike wants to know with the popularity of F1, do you see someone getting an IndyCar license? I mean, we have no interest in that space at all. I'm not even paying attention. Let's keep I mean, going. racing. Racing Let's... is a space. Formula One's the only space that has upside right now, or has had upside. But again, I even see that selling off. I mean, Let's I keep going. F1. Yeah, Ben Diamond. Ben Diamond wants to know: Can we get less sticker autos? And and can you speak? Can you just sort of speak to is is the is our industry with fanatics coming in overall? All the card companies are we going to move to fewer uh, stickers, or is it going to remain the same, or go to well, some more? We want if we want the only signers to be really good signers like Nolan Ryan and Cal Ripken. If we only want those guys autographs, we can do on card only. But if we want anyone who's going to be huge and popular, because like Steph Curry, said we get Steph Curry to sign. But like if I call Steph Curry and say, "Hey, I have two hundred cards I need signed for this set," or I need three hundred cards signed, he's not signing. Giannis is not signing. Erling Holland is not signing. Lionel Messi is not signing. Cristiano Ronaldo is not signing. Do I need to name every great player we have? They're not signing if we do that. Now, you might say, well, can't you print all the cards and then send them all to them at once? Well, yeah, if you want all of our products to come out over a two-month period. But what we've done is we've said, listen, we're going to sacrifice on card to a large extent. And we will bring some on card back, as you'll see soon. 
We're going to have select on card stuff where we're really thoughtful about why we do it. The reason we do stickers primarily is a, we can be on time with products because we're not waiting for guys. Like think about this, the football rookies. We have virtually all the football rookies in house. We have very few redemptions this year, but if we had waited until the cards were printed to send them out, we still wouldn't have come out with a football set. We would have come out with our first football set in late August instead of having two sets out by then or three sets out by then. So part of it is that the other part I will tell you, though, is look at how many nine autographs. Yes, sometimes autograph goes on the sticker and you get a nine auto. But a lot of the worst autographs are on-card autographs. Go take a look on eBay at autographs that are either smeared or they've got big streaks in them or there's a problem. Look at bad autographs. You know what I'm talking about, Jeremy. Cards that mm -hmm. don't have good autographs on them. Oh, yeah. Most of them are on-card. Most of the ones that have faded over the years are on card. Where the signature starting to fade out or bleed well, out. But I, I think they all, I think, yeah, yeah. And I think I think oftentimes it's because people put them up on display in a in a well lit room with that had sunlight coming through. If you have your card, uh, if you, you're laughing at the salmon comment, yeah, aren't I, you? I'm like <laughs> let's let's just let's just go to Justin. Welcome to the show. Likes the salmon shirt. I'd say the hobby is on the right track. Um, I think I think people need to stop putting their sports cards out on display if they have autographs on them. I have cards behind me on display, but none of them ever had ever have autographs. There's the uh, there's a little public public service announcement for this evening. Sorry, keep going. I like, I like the Ben V comment here. Can you put that on the screen? The one that just went over there. This one here. Yep. Yeah, tell Matt Turner to make some cards instead of just looking at ones the rest of us sweat to make. You, the people who criticize a lot of this kind of stuff don't understand what goes on behind the scenes. They don't understand what it takes to, and again, part of our problem is we make very small production compared to Panini and Tops. And when you make very small production, it makes those problems of getting guys to sign on card even worse. Because like I said, you can't call Giannis and say there's 52 cards in Pro Set Sports. Can you whip them out real quick? Doesn't work like that. But again, Nat Turner actually has been highly critical of Panini and stickers. And I got to be honest, I think it's very easy to criticize something you don't understand. And that's why people like Press Pass and those companies are out of business now. Because they tried to do something that couldn't be achieved with any scale and were successful with that. And listen, I don't love stickers either. I don't love them. You think it's my favorite option? But at the end of the day, I'm willing to sacrifice some value to deliver more value. And I'm telling you, if all my Giannis's were on card and if all my Curry's were on card, the products would be priced 50% higher because the autograph prices would shoot way up. Now I do like someone said bigger stickers. Pele is about to move to a bigger sticker because he can't see the sticker anymore. He can't sign that small. We're moving to a bigger sticker. Maybe we'll move to bigger stickers on everybody. But to me, people who say like Dave uh, Bolaton or whoever here says, either get an auto on the card or don't make it. With respect, I would tell Dave to go buy another company's product. Don't buy our product. If our product has too many stickers for you, that's the beautiful thing. There's lots of choices out there. You know? It, there's lots of choices. Go buy something else. But I'll tell you what. You open a case of Pro Set Sports, and you open a case of, I don't know, pick any football product for 2022. And if, if you would like to have your bottom in your hands and have it handed to you, Go open the 22 football product from another company and see what kind of return you get on your investment. 
It, there's right. a reason why this works. Trust me. I want on card. It's not possible the way we do things. It's not possible. And I'd say for that customer, absolutely. Go buy a product. You know, I'd say go buy those products. I think it's great. Go buy Flawless for $10,000 a box. You want on card? There's $10,000 boxes to go buy. The problem is they want to buy boxes for 100 that are all on card. No, no redemptions. You know, when you open the box, it lights up and spins around in the air and kisses you. You know, I mean, it doesn't work like that. That's dreamland. Okay. Well, yeah, there's people saying it's just excuses. There's going but to I be do a think, better way. There's some good comments here, like the way we frame it. We've done a good job of hiding the stickers on some cards. And we're looking at more and more ways to hide the sticker. So it doesn't look and feel like a sticker. And I do think boxing, the way we box the sticker or foil underneath it, and we've done things like that to, to better hide the sticker. And I think we're constantly looking. And that's a great point. People who say that, see, that's constructive discussion. Is okay, in a world of stickers, how do we do it better? Great. That's great feedback. That's what we need. We need more productive feedback instead of, oh, the world sucks because you don't do this. I mean, like, great. Don't buy it. Yeah. You know, don't go buy, go buy a Justin Fields for $800 from some Panini product and don't buy the one you can buy for a hundred bucks out of leaf. Cause guess what? The ink's the same. And I do believe 20 years from now, you will be better off owning eight leaf Justin Fields than one Panini or whatever it is, four to one, whatever it is. I do believe you'll be much better off owning four of ours. Oh, it's easy to criticize what you don't understand, you know, and, 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 and it's just the, the way it is, right? Not everybody can get behind uh, the curtain and understand how these things are, are done, what the processes are. One last thing on my friend Dave here. I will say one thing I like that he just said is it's not about ROI to him. It's about the cards. And in that case, I think he's 100% right. He should go buy what he likes. And I do too. Guess what? I go buy what I like. That's okay. Like, I think we forget about that sometimes because we're so concerned with the money side of the business. And I am too, because guess what? It's a business to me. But what I will say is, I like that quote. I like that. I think a lot of people, if you like cards, go buy what you like. That's the beautiful thing about the hobby. And that's why when people look at what's in the marketplace, some people look at our product and say, you know what? I think, honestly, Leaf makes a nice card. And they can get past the licensing stuff because they realize the cards are nice. Okay. Good. Let's uh, let's go to some other stuff here then. Uh, and it's going to be, we're going to be kind of sporadic jumping around, but that's just the nature of having Brian Gray on the show. Victor, the rookie card specialist says the problem is rookie cards are the RC designation are dessert are determined by whichever way the wind is blowing today. And if you ever check out Victor's channel on YouTube under the same name that you see on the screen right now, he does deep dives into rookie cards and which ones are and which ones aren't. So when he says, when, he, when he's almost throwing his arms up in the air and saying it's just, it, it, you know, as the wind blows, um, it tells you that, uh, that that we're unorganized as a hobby as far as what a rookie card is and isn't. Ben Diamond says, Nat Turner says the first card in a pro uniform is the rookie card. And uh, that's great. But, you know, Jeremy Lee might say this. Brian Gray might say something different. And, uh, you know, Perk will say something. Hobby. Everybody has an opinion just because you – our Nat Turner doesn't mean that your opinion is correct, but Brian, I actually like that particular approach. I think this approach makes some sense to me. Uh, I haven't okay, thought but it. What if, the, but what if the pro uniform is airbrushed? What if the pro uniform is airbrushed? Is that a rookie card? It's a pro uniform. 
See these, and these are the things that not everybody thinks of when when and the comment is player made, doesn't so. make it. What if an NIL player, my set, never makes it to the NFL, or a guy in perfect game baseball never makes it to the pros? Does he never get to have a rookie card because his only card was a leaf card when he was sixteen, or does that become his rookie since he had no pro cards? At the end of the day, it shouldn't matter if people buy and are driven to the cards that they're attracted to. At the end of the day. The market will determine the most important card. And I think that's what's most important is what cards do people value? And those cards were the most desirable cards. We should not try to trick people into thinking something special because it's got an RC logo on it. It's been amazing, really, how the whole baseball thing's worked out with the RC logo. I always thought it was a joke. It actually has been good for the market in baseball, the RC logos, three years after the first Bowman card. At first, I thought it was kind of a scam. It's like, yeah, like rookie card, who cares? The first Bowman card's always the card. But it's been pretty effective. But it doesn't mean you have to go buy Wander tops two rookies because it's got the RC logo. What are you buying? You're buying Bowman Chrome first. Bowman Chrome first, whether it's autographed or unautographed. Let's uh, let's uh, make David French happy. He's been wanting to know about Leafs' future disc golf plans. We will continue to incorporate the best players in the world, and I think we're currently working on the best one. We're constantly bringing those guys into multi-sport because they have great followers. I don't think we can make a whole product of disc golf that would be widely accepted, but you will continue to see these players pop up in our multi-sport products. All right. There's been some questions about the current state of grading that have come through. So uh, we're going to, we're going to do this very quickly here. So my, uh, don't jump in yet, Brian. But Michael Ham says, does Brian have a favorite grading company? Actually, yeah, go ahead. And if you want to jump in on that, and then we'll segue into uh, Linda's been asking about if you have any thoughts on automated grading. And I had tag on. We did a five episode uh, thing on them. So what are your thoughts on what's your favorite grading company and your thoughts on the future of grading as far as automated goes? I try to be impartial on grading. Um, again, this is much like which company's product you buy. You buy Leaf, you buy Panini, you buy Tops, you buy Sage. What do you buy? You know, Wildcard, whatever you buy. Buy it because you like it. That's fine. Grading, I think also, I'm going to go in the same basket. There's grading companies that we so far have used in our buyback products. That's PSA, Beckett, SGC, CSG. We are about to announce a partnership with another company for a single product a company we have not worked with before, or did I not just name, for a single product we're going to put out, utilizing their holders and, and trying to feature the things that are strong about their services, just because I think it's an interesting kind of collector-driven enterprise. But generally, I don't have a favorite, because honestly, to me, they all have their, their niches. They really do. If PSA could turn all the cards and be consistent in grading, PSA would probably be my favorite. If Beckett sold for the same as PSA, they'd probably be my favorite. If SGC didn't have the stupid black trim, I hate the tuxedo. But outside of that, if it looked different and looked more modern instead of something from 1980, I'd probably be a fan of that. CSG I actually liked, but you can't get the high grades, or I'd probably be a fan of that. So, like, they all have problems is the point. And any new company is going to have problems. They are. Even if they have the perfect technique and everything, then they don't have the brand. Then if they have the brand, but they have no technique and the holder sucks, that everyone has shortcomings. So I think we instead of like putting these guys against each other, which one's the best or this and that, you just figure out which one fits your needs. Price-wise, turnaround time, resell. If you're a PC guy and you like the tuxedo, go SGC. If you want a matching, if you want the matching design on the top, go buy HGA. 
If you want Beckett's thicker, sturdier, slide with my Beckett. If you really want a super thick that feels like an iPhone, there's a company out there called Rare Edition. You can do theirs. That thing is so thick. You stack like three of them, you could actually get convicted of murder if you threw them at someone. So, like, I mean, there's so many options. People just have to decide what their goal is. And I'm not going to be one who's going to go behind a company and say, if you don't use Beckett or you don't use PSA, you're a fool. Because there's spots where I use PSA. There's spots I use Beckett. There's spots I use other companies, you know? Yeah. No, fair. Okay. L.A. Schwein. This is, again, we're, we're out of order. We're out of sequence. But that's how Brian Gray episodes go. It says the overproduction of parallel parallels rookie cards for bigger sports is why I enjoy Upper Deck Young Guns. Although Upper Deck Young Guns have parallels as well. But uh, thanks, L.A. Schwein. J.H. made this comment. Uh, this is already 14 minutes ago or so. All these 20-year experts never saw this recent boom coming. All were just grinding it out. I, I want to make that. I want to comment here because, I mean, I've been collecting cards for 40 years. And I've always thought that something could happen because no one else gets it. Am I the only one? Am I and my fellow like lifelong collector cardboard nerd brethren are we the only ones that get it or are we truly uh you know the weirdos and now so many more people are getting it but i was just like they, they gotta catch on cards are so cool anyway what are your thoughts on this well i mean again i, I say this to people are like oh you're full of crap but in 2018 at the summit i literally got up on the stage and i predicted a multi-year bull rally the likes of which we've never seen now you have to ask the guys from beckett who ran the summit in 100 i really said that but I'm a 20-year grinder. I've been doing this. I did my first show in 1987. So I did my first show 34 years ago. And I'm about to turn 50. So, like, I know I look much younger. But, like, I really, I think I qualify as, like, an old guy now. And I saw this coming. But, again, I have an unfair advantage. And these dating services, I'm telling you. But I have an unfair advantage because I get to see behind the curtain also. Speaking of dating services, you have a groupie in the in the chat right now. Uh, I hope it's not. A, I, I, you know, you're, allowed, you're allowed to be a fan without being a groupie. Don't even be a fan. Just love talking cards with someone who loves it as much as you do. Because again, it's a nice people, comment from Troy Fisher. People who own card companies don't collect cards. You understand that, right? This is like one of the only ones. I'm one of the only dudes that actually owns a card company and collects cards. It's kind of crazy. All right, let's keep on moving along then. Uh, well, here we go. Hits and Chicks says, Brian is the man. Legendary figure in the hobby. I mean, you're definitely legendary. Toa Hang, welcome back, Toa. I haven't seen you for a while. Says, on-card autos or none at all is an ignorant comment. It's not realistic. There are on-cards available and there are sticker autos. You have a choice. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, think, we're, I think we're good on the sticker auto for tonight. Uh, Sanderson Tor, Eric wants to thank Brian for looking out for his customers and forcing athletes to fulfill their contractual obligations to sign some autographs. We sued CD Lamb. We sued CD Lamb. First time ever a card company sued an athlete to complete their contract. We filed the lawsuit on a Monday. That night he signed the cards and called and said we could pick them up the next morning. Picked them up at his house the next morning, dropped the lawsuit the next day. So we, we proved that it can be done when we finally just say enough's enough. Now, again, it's easier for me because like when you have a license with the league, they don't let you sue the player. That's how you get on the wrong side of the league really quick. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be thinking like, how can we make these guys do what they say? Because we don't want to use redemptions. You understand that. And this goes to redemptions. And I'll say one more time what I've said 50 times. We don't want redemptions. But at the last second, if Kenny Pickett doesn't return his cards, are you okay if I just pull his autograph out of the set? Like, no way you're okay with that. It was on the sell sheet. He's the best rookie. You've got to have him. 
So like, it's actually deceitful, manipulation, unfair trade. It's like 50 different things if I do that. So we have to put redemptions in. The key is, do we have the balls to make them do it? And we're down to another one. We're at a point now, and it's so bad because Wander Franco, we we're about to get, and he broke his wrist, his signing wrist. So like when he's able to sign, he's got like three weeks once he's able to sign. If he doesn't sign, he'll probably be CD Lamb. Because we're just not going to mess around anymore. It's been over a year. It's enough. It's enough. Okay, good. So let's uh, let's switch topics. I'm I'm at the bottom of the comments. So to everybody in the chat, guys, I mean, thanks there's some for big your... stuff in the hobby right now. I mean, there's well, some that's big... what we're gonna hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. That's what that's what we're gonna switch to. That's what we're gonna switch to right now. I'm at the bottom of the comments, the chat. I'm not gonna scroll back up. So if I missed your comment and it's something you really wanted to address. Feel free to put it in, but give us a few minutes to talk about this next topic first. Otherwise, I might lose your comment yet again. Brian, let's talk about what is going, like the, the headlines that are coming in the hobby that we don't even know about yet. Not, you know, one of the biggest questions out there that uh, people were talking about at the National, and everyone seems to assume it's happening, is, is Fanatics buying tops? Sorry, is Fanatics buying Panini? They already bought tops. Is Fanatics buying Panini? Speak to that. What do you know? What have you heard? Are they going to do it? Anything I tell you, I will tell you, I am hearing blank, which means that most probably someone with more knowledge than most has shared with me that something is happening. If I'm purely speculating, I'll say I'm purely speculating. I have heard that there is a done deal. I've heard that there is a done deal. Now, My speculation, it's going to take a little more time probably, but I have heard there's a done deal. And I think we now have to prepare for, and I think this is good. This can be very good for the hobby. As much as people will be negative, and some people should be negative, because listen, prices will probably go up on stuff. The price of cards in the marketplace will not get cheaper with this. They will get more expensive. That's what happens when you have consolidation like this and higher royalties and higher fees. You don't sell stuff cheaper because you have much higher fees and much higher commitments to the players and the leagues so prices will go up make no mistake but if we can grow this marketplace using what fanatics has invested in these other areas we can grow this industry so big that i mean we may not even we really could move back to the very early innings across the board because the market could bite six times the size it is today ten times the size it is today The number of people in America that collect and buy cards, very small relative to the population that can. Mm -hmm. So it could be a very good thing. But what I hear to answer your question, because I keep running on, I hear it's done. But again, I'm not privy to it. So I'm only telling you what I hear. But I hear it's a done deal. Yeah, I've heard I've heard similar things, but I mean, what I hear doesn't mean (laughs) unless it's coming from somebody who's actually heard it from a good source. And I can't verify that ever. So that's why we ask you. And it's always fun to speculate on. Uh, obviously another big, big piece of news recently was that, uh, tops has decided not to use GTS as a distributor anymore. And that, uh, a lot of people are taking that to, to be a sign of things to come with fanatics, bringing many of these processes in house, or at least going to do something else with them. What are your thoughts on that? How does that impact the hobby? How does that impact card shops, breakers, and ultimately customers? Um, Facts first, they absolutely did, from what I hear, cut. I mean, I think it's a fact now. I think GTS is no longer distributed for tops as of next year. I think, I think it's, that's, 
I think that's been shared publicly that that's a fact. I believe so, but I think what it what I've heard, and I think this is accurate, is that uh, you know any current orders that 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 uh, GTS has with Tops are going to be filled. But once that once that's done, it's done, and that pretty much runs through this, the end of the year. The way it I works, with so. so it's pretty much end of the year. Um, they were not the only one. Um, and again, I don't think these other ones have really been aired out, so I don't want to say the names. I believe two additional distributors were cut off. One in the U.S. and one not in the U.S. Okay. And I believe one internet retailer was cut off. One of the big three internet retailers was cut off. So this was not a one and done thing. Now, I don't work. I don't work for fanatics. They haven't asked me to advise them. If they did, I would have given them advice. I think this is not a great move yet. I think it's a mistake. Um, if you ever played musical chairs, Jeremy, like. Imagine there's like right now in the hobby, people ask me why prices are so high. Do you know why that is? Because there's 50,000 people walking around the chairs and there's 20,000 chairs. So you already have an imbalance that when the music stops, people are going to fight over the chairs. The problem is when you cut distributors, especially one with a footprint like GTS, the problem is about a third of the chairs just disappeared. And if you think the other distributors are just going to sell to all these customers GTS and you're out of your mind, like completely out of your mind. So the problem is now we have 10,000 people and we have 1,500 or 2,000 chairs. If you don't think it's going to get violent, at some point, if people want to sit down, it'll be punches and it'll get nasty. And I, I just think right now it's not, I just don't think it's the right time to do that. But again, these guys have a vision for what they want to do. Clearly, I'm not them, so they have to do their own thing. We're gladly going to continue to use GTS. We hope that they'll invest more energy in educating their customers about what the, the best competition of Fanatics is going to be us. Because we're going to be the only guy left that does everything. Upper Deck will do hockey and a few non-sports, but multi-sport. But like, we're going to be their competitor in every space. And I think we're going to do a great job of what we do. And we'll be that alternative to Fanatics. And that's good. You know, but um, we will continue to use GTS. We're not cutting distributors because honestly, I think the current distributor network's doing a pretty good job, frankly. Yeah, you have some odd stuff where they get cute with stuff occasionally, but like generally, I think the retail, the, the, I think the distribution channel is reasonably good right now. I really believe that. Okay. Carson Cruz, just want to say thanks. Great to have you. Um, so Brian, what else is going on? What other other is there other deal flow going on in the back rooms? I mean, there were you know the cards. You walked into the national. The main floor was the main floor. You took an escalator up to the second floor. That's where the show was. And then there were other escalators up to the third floor. And a lot of the companies had special like meeting rooms where they were having meetings. And I I heard from a few executives in the space that uh, they were spending their whole time up on the third floor doing deals, talking about transactions. What else are you hearing out there that you can share? Well, here's what I can tell you. I didn't go up to the third floor. We had a we had a meeting room in our booth with two couches and a nice chair where we could sit, or a table. We could sit and chat with people and uh, kind of see what's going on. And I think from our perspective, we ended up talking to about eight or nine tech companies while we were there because they know that I'm a guy who's looking at venture opportunities, venture, venture capital opportunities. Leafs had a, Leafs had a pretty good couple of years. So we finally have capital that we want to deploy. And so we met with eight or nine people and they're all tech. 
they all have pretty good tech in various ways. The problem is I had to basically tell five people, I got no money for you because these people have poured so much money into tech. The amount of money that's been poured into tech in our space, people have no idea. Uh, of, the, of the, I'd say five or six companies, I kind of said, no, I can't work with you. I, I think three or four of them have raised over $10 million or close to it. Their tech is either at the finish line or close, but they're out of money. And when I mean out of money, like 30 to 60 days, they're done. And so I think everybody and their grandma thinks they can raise some money and throw it at some tech solution. And I think there are going to be some winners. There's some great stuff out there. There's one or two great things in the grading space. There's one or two great things in the streaming space. There's one or two great things in the database slash whatever space. There are a couple of winners out there. But even the winners, you know, it's so so we that's what I spent most of my time doing when I wasn't buying, honestly, was meeting with a bunch of companies in tech. So I think what you're going to see is if you ask my prediction today, winners, there's one grading company that's probably going to be has the potential to be a winner. Okay, without going into the specifics, there's one grading company that's new that has a chance. I saw their stuff. I loved it. I loved it. My people at my company are not as sure about it. I'm sure I like it. Um, in the, I will tell you, there's a streaming player that we fell in love with there, who is who has the ability to take on whatnot and maybe be successful. And that's Drip. I don't know if you looked at this. Very heavy in the TCG space right now. But I think they're very committed to getting into the card space. And there's big upside there. And I, and I would not be shocked to see us do something with them in one capacity or another. There's something there. They have fantastic technology. It's really good. Imagine whatnot where it streams on the Leaf website and on YouTube Live at the same time we're doing it on the app. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's taking what's on whatnot, taking it up a notch, and hopefully with a tiny bit more class and panache than what's in some of the other sites we see i shouldn't even said the name of the company but that's one i see as a winner so that was what was cool about the show just without going too deep is there's some tech that's really good really good and i think the fact that people are pouring money into the business most of them are losers but the fact that there are some really cool things happening and there's plenty of venture money who's interested again this bodes so well for our industry doesn't it like, to me, that is exciting because this is the first time ever that I can hear of hundreds of millions of dollars being poured into tech between 10 companies. Hundreds of millions. That's pretty good. And it can change the grading space, the streaming space. There's a company there who can identify cards with just a picture of the card now. Not just identify the card, down to the parallel. You know? And so, but again... Can these companies monetize? Can they? I, those are all questions for these companies. I will tell you, I had multiple companies that asked about having us as an advisor or a board member. So again, I think it's so interesting. That that's just the most promising part. It's just to see industries that have money being poured into tech there. That's usually a good sign for the industry. The companies that are old, stodgy, and overly mature that's where you got to be careful and stay away from it. I don't think our, I don't think our, I don't think our industry fits that bill. You know what I mean? Things that are like Tupperware. There's no innovation. There's no innovation in Tupperware or Campbell's soup. Like there's no innovation, Kleenex and toilet paper. Unless the toilet paper is going to be like the genie's magic rug and like wipe your butt for you. Like what's it going to do that's going to change anything? That was horrible to say. Like what's it going to do that's going to change anything? The fact that tech 
is becoming a real part of this business. And I'm not talking about companies who say they use AI for grading and they really don't. Like they scan the card and that's their AI. Like that doesn't count. You know, or they wear goggles while they look at them and that makes it, whatever it is. I'm talking about real tech. That's maybe the single most exciting thing I came away from that show with is that guys think this business has a chance of being like next level. Heck, Post Malone almost broke whatnot the other night. Post Malone was on whatnot two nights ago and he had a gazillion people there. What happens when all your leaf breaks on a platform suddenly have players there? That could be, or fanatics. That could be really cool. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, let's go to this question here. I do like hobby businesses question. I'm going to put this up, Brian, but keep it quick, okay? Keep this one yep. quick. Talk about your average day at work. What's that? What is that actually like running a big time card company? 500 emails. That's the first thing. Every morning is 500 emails. And I quit answering emails at 10 or 11 at night. But I have just, I get pounded. Whether it's my employees, whether it's customers, whether it's, because again, my biggest mistake or positive years ago was making myself fully accessible. I put my cell phone number in Beckett Magazine, for God's sake. So like when you do that, you understand you're committed to being with people. So I probably spend two or three hours a day between answering people's questions I read all social media to try to find out if we're doing things well, if we're doing something wrong. Sometimes I'll see customer service things I need to address. I watch breaks online all the time. And when I see something that looks funny or I see something doesn't feel right or what comes out of the boxes wasn't right, I like call the breaker and say, dude, that case was screwed. I don't know if you did it or if you bought it that way, but you got to do something for your customers because it's not right. So you talk, Brian, was, Brian, when you when you make that comment, are you talking about leaf products or all company leaf products? products? Leaf, leaf products. products. Someone saw, I saw someone break a case of a football product and all the boxes had been removed and replaced with other cards. And then I saw when he was cutting the tape on the box, he didn't really cut the tape. The tape was already cut. So it's like, dude, here's a slow motion video. Here's the problem. So like I spent hours a day doing stuff like that. Then I spend probably two or three hours a day making deals. I'm on the phone with agents. I'm on the phone with players. I'm on the phone with suppliers. I'm buying cards. I'm buying tickets. I'm buying cuts. I'm buying, I mean, I spent three or four hours a day probably doing acquisitions. And then one hour a day, I probably sit at my desk singing music and thinking because I like, I'll either sit in the hot tub if I'm at home or I'll sit at my desk and blare music, kind of like uh, Michael Blurry on Big Short, because I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll sing along though, which is not the same. But, but I get like, I start thinking about creative and I'm like, what does the market not have that it could want? And it, if it's buybacks, it's what can I put in a box? You can put anything in a box. Anything that's fun to collect, you can go in a box. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what repacks can look like. If it's if it's, if we're going to make a new product, are we doing something that contributes to the hobby? Or are we just making the same old, same old? Like we have to try to do something different. If we're not even trying to do something different, then does the market even need what we make? Really? And right now, my driving force is that if Fanatics is buying Panini as I believe they are, I now have a new motivation to go next level because I'm the last hope. It's like when Princess Leia leans down to R2 and sends the message to Luke, you're my only hope. That's what the hobby is here. We're the only hope for competition, keeping people honest, making good products, giving people a choice. That's a great responsibility. So that's what my day is, is basically a balance of making deals, caring about the customer, total brainstorm. And that's why December 31st, I'm leaving my office. And I'm working from home. I'm going once a week to visit. With, I'm letting someone take over in the office because I can't deal with like employee issues. 
because my responsibility is certainly having the last time. I just really screwed myself by saying that. But but I think honestly, I have a responsibility now that I've got to focus on the things I do really well. And I feel like now if I drop the ball, it means more than it did six months ago. I've got to, I've got to execute near flawlessly, like really near flawlessly. And I think I can do it, but like, like everybody else, sometimes I got to know my limitations and two employees have a conflict. That can't be what I'm worried about. Yeah. Or if there's a leak in the warehouse, I can't hear this. I've got to worry about getting Jennifer Aniston to sign the stickers I sent her. I got to worry about, these are the things I have to do. Okay, good. Thank you. That that was interesting, actually. <laughs> More interesting than I thought it was going to be. You have an interesting job. Me too. Chris Barr, who uh, works for Leaf, says, I've never seen a senior exec or CEO as directly involved with their product or customers as I have with Leaf. And I know Chris, <laughs> Chris recently came from Panini. And I for, correct me, did Chris work for Upper Deck too? It slipped my mind. I don't, I don't remember. He, he might have. I'm not sure. Chris, did you work for Upper Deck? Let us know in the comments if you don't mind. I feel like you did. Uh, I'll keep my eye on that. I want to go to. Uh, That's to a nice this. thing for him to say, which I and I and I don't think he's kissing up. I think he actually means it. I really am like hardcore passionate, and I fight with my team when I like think we're doing something wrong or I don't think we're executing. I'll go in a straight up fight with them and say, guys, we got to price this cheaper. We got to do this. We got to do that. T. Dot Jones says, "Do you ever think tangibility will die?" He says, "I don't think so. It's like books." No, no, I don't think so at all, and I think. We just seen with the collapse, or not collapse of NFTs, but the air coming out of NFTs. In our space, tangibility is going to be critical. Tangibility is going to be critical for 50 different reasons. But honestly, in an industry based on nostalgia, tech can't take over completely. So what do you think then, Brian, about, about vaults? We're seeing vault, you know, PWCC kind of started with the first vault. Now we're seeing vaults by many other companies. I'm hearing about even more vaults coming into the space. What are your thoughts on vaults in the hobby and people storing their, and I'm, I'm not talking about like big cards that you don't want in your home for security purposes. I'm talking about the more, you know, the lower level cards. What do you think about vaults for that sort of stuff? I mean, listen, there's, there's some pluses and minuses. If this is an investment to you, I don't know the last time I've taken a stock certificate in hand, except Enron, when it went out of business, I requested physical shares for like a few shares just to have stock certificates or Disney for my kids, I want to have a stock certificate, but like no one takes stock. If it's just an investment, put it in the vault somewhere, as long as you trust the vault. You know, I will tell you this, I have some very big cards that I'll be selling in the next few months, modern cards, not leaf cards, before sports card radio gets all excited, but I have some big cards. I have a very large Luca card that I'm going to be selling. I have a couple of, I have a big Josh Allen card that I'll be selling. I've got some big cards. So I think I'm going to send them to PWCC vault. I think I'm going to send it because I want them sitting there. So when the time, first off, I may put them up for sale on the fixed price marketplace for a while, see if there's any interested premium valuations. But at some point, if I want to sell it, how much easier if it's there, I just push a button, it goes to the monthly or the premiere, you know, or the weekly or the premiere. You know, I think that's a good way to do that. I don't need a $100,000 Luca card sitting in my desk. Right now it's sitting on my desk. And I have to put it in my safe now that I just said that, but like, it's sitting on the front of my desk so I can look at it all the time. Like, I probably need to send that to PWCC. I can look at it online. You know, so I think there's a place for vaults. I don't know if I'm buying Frank Thomas 90 Leaf PSA 9s for $12 if they belong in a vault. I think that's overdoing it. But I think the eBay vault could be a game changer. 
Because I, I heard, I don't know if they have full arena announced anything, but I heard like you're going to have no fees if you sold things out of your vault. Like I've heard there's going to be like some real incentive to use the vault. That could change some things. I could see, but that's going to be mayhem. If everyone leaves their crap there, that's going to be such a mess. Good luck to them. Okay, no, good stuff. I, I'm interested in your your thoughts on that because uh, it seems to be a, a trend that is not slowing down as of as of yet. Uh, Ankesh says, your thoughts on Whatnot's recent fundraising round at a $3.7 billion valuation. Again, doesn't mean they raised $3.7 billion. It means they, they sold some equity at a valuation of $3.7. Pretty incredible how much our industry has grown. Your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, I mean, first off, I need to probably, I, I probably need to do a, uh, we don't need the money, but we probably should do a round of financing for Leaf because they're paying, I guarantee, I, does Whatnot make money? Like, I don't know if they actually make I, money. I think they're still burning. And, I don't and the books. every company I talk to at the national, every tech company, not one of them is cash flow positive. Every one of them is burning money. So to me, I look at for 3.7 billion. If you'd like, I can pull up a list of real companies that are valued in that range that are far better than that. And again, whatnot's got a great platform. I think the big risk there is that there's gambling. It's a gambling website. About half of the breaks there are illegal. The shuffling the car, they're just illegal. They just are there. If anyone ever challenges it, it's going to be a problem. You know, it, it is. And so I, I don't, I don't love that, but I think, Hey, it's impressive. If you can raise money at those, I heard autograph the company that does the NFTs, they raise money at a billion valuation. You know, super. I mean, makes me happy because I guarantee at least worth more than I, than I would have sold it for six months or a year ago or five years ago. I know it's worth more than that, you know? So I think it's good for leaf. But uh, again, I think if, if you're an investor in that, I would ask you to take your head and put it under a microscope because you need examination. Because that's that's insane. They're, I guarantee they're burning cash and you don't buy companies at $4 billion that are streaming-based businesses where there's very few barriers to entry. And I just gave you another company that's probably valued at 4% of that that we are gonna bet on instead of whatnot. So like that should tell you something right there. I've just given you a free tip. You know, we're betting on another player because we think what they do is better. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, Justin says, what not, what not might go public, which is great attention. I'll be going short. Chris C says, vault, no thanks. I'll use controlled climate unit, I guess, in your own house. Um, and uh, Brian Basketballs, thanks for documenting this hobby history, Jeremy. I appreciate that, Brian. He uh, goes on to say uh, these type of videos will outlive us 100%. That's pretty cool to think about, Brian. I appreciate the comment very much. Thank you for that. Uh, John Wee is a, is a founder, co-founder of Center Stage. You see I'm wearing their, their shirt right now. They are one of these tech companies that uh, does imaging of cards and then produces uh, comps, I believe, for the... Well, not I believe, I know. They'll show you recent comps. If you just scan the image of a card with your phone with the app and they are a supporter of sports cards live so happy to bring this comment on shout out john and center stage what they're doing but he says we'd love to work with a card company to get images associated with checklists to load into the center stage app one day we could be creative with in-app experiences with some collaboration i think the only question would be is the need to see the design with the name and the picture or because again to do it after like the autograph stickers have been applied and all that would be a very challenging, daunting task. To take the digital files used to create cards, not as daunting. But I will tell you, we've had five different creators of different tech 
who have asked if that's ever possible because they see there's obviously a lot of benefits to having all these things in databases because it allows tech to be unleashed. So is it possible? Yes, if we can use native files so that reach out to us. Any tech that sees something, and again, you'll see, we're going to do something with a grading company that I typically haven't supported because they came to us and said, we want to show you the demand for this. And I said, you know what? I have an idea that's so creative. I think I could actually do something and we're going to announce a partnership. We never planned on working with that company, but they came to us and said, hey, have you ever thought about this, this, this? And then I used my head in the hot tub and came up with something. And so we're going to do something. So, hey, if you have a tech company, you're in this space and you're looking for someone to partner with you who is willing to think out of the box because very few are. You know, that's one of the only good qualities I have is I'm willing to gamble. And uh, I see value sometimes where people don't. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks, John, too. Ankesh says, I wonder how much due diligence venture capitalists actually do when investing in initial rounds within this niche space could possibly be long. Is that long term negative with high sky value with sky high valuations if many of them do not work out? Uh, any thoughts on that, Brian? Here's, here's what's funny. I think they do less today than they did on the way up. So, for example, and I think I can say this now. We met with some of the biggest companies in the collectible arena when Leaf was considering being sold. One of the biggest commerce platforms sat down with us. And when I told them that I wanted 30 or $35 million for Leaf back in 2020, they were like, ooh, that seems like a lot. You know, if it were 20 or 25, maybe. And we're like, no, thanks. Let's move on. Then I offered it to a conglomerate, a very big company in our space, and said, I wanted 50 million a few months later. And they said, oh, we could see paying 35, but we can't see paying 50. Then I had a deal with someone that I actually signed at the end of last year at 100 million valuation. And we walked away from when it didn't close fast enough. And now the deals we're looking at are 200 to 250 million valuation. So like they didn't, they did so much due diligence early on. They didn't ever bought us because they were scared. Well, this isn't sustainable. This industry's never been this. They were analyzing the hell out of stuff then. But now that things are good, they go to whatnot and just throw money at them. There's a here. They pelt them with it like they're throwing bricks at someone. Like, I mean, it's amazing. I think their standards are so much lower now that the hobby's grown than when they could have really made money being venture capitalists when companies were cheap. How, how venturing is that when companies are super expensive, you throw money at them? The real money makers are the guys who are able to identify a winner. When Leaf is 20 or 25, or after it's upper deck for 15 million back in 2019, 17, 18. So, like, that was the time to be a genius and buy us for 15 million instead of 200 million or 250 million. Like, that's what I'm saying. And again, I'm not, these are kind of just numbers. I'm not saying that's what we are going to sell for or something, but I'm just saying generally, that shows you how stupid the VC money has been in our space. They were too picky. And, and my, my, my guy, my private equity guy said, listen, they don't trust that the industry is really growing. They think it's all a COVID trend. They don't believe your earnings are sustainable. They think you're going to drop right back down. And since that very first private equity call in 2020, our profits this year will be 15 times what they were in 2019 when I made that first call. And they were completely wrong. And now they're completely believers when they maybe should be a little more scrutinized. They should be scrutinizing some of the tech. I really do think. But again, I agree with Ankesh. is very smart. I know him. Yeah, He's very, very smart because he knows that it only takes a few burnings in this business to scare the private equity out completely. 
Well, let's read his next comment. He says, VCs are chasing a growth industry they've been historically underinvested in and VC associates don't know the space. I want to I just address that briefly because coincidentally, tomorrow on this, on Sports Cards Live YouTube channel, on my Collectible Live show that I work with, Collectible, the fractional ownership company, my guest is going to be Warren Lawfer, who is the principal at the Mint 10 Investment Fund. And they are a private equity VC who deploys capital into several companies in the space, including the one I'm wearing the shirt of right now, Center Stage, and whatnot. We've also talked about tonight, among many others. So if anyone wants to learn more, hear more about how VC does look at our space, tomorrow, 7 o'clock Eastern, on this channel, I'll be live with Warren Lawfer, who uh, who I've met. Great guy, real, really good guy, real easy to talk to, smart guy, sharp as can be. Will be really nice to have him on, and we'll we'll get some of the, We'll get some insights into that angle tomorrow, seven o'clock Eastern, on this channel. Uh, Craig, what does Craig say? FYI, live streaming e-commerce in China is fifty times the U.S. market, and China is two to three years ahead of U.S. Uh, the U.S. market in live streaming. So that bodes well for the the whatnots, the loops, the card shops live. Sure. Um, the one you mentioned, I think you know uh, eBay, eBay getting into it as well. So. Definitely a lot of competition coming in that space. No, I do. I, I, I think you're right. And I think the interactive experience of shopping is a big deal. And I can tell you in our new rookie deals going forward, we're going to work in 30-minute break sessions with all of our athletes. Because when we're breaking products with dealers, how great is it that we could have Kenny Pickett come on and break ultimate football? Or... You know, Jamison Williams, come on and break flash football or Malik Willis or Bryce Young or whoever it is. Like to me, that interaction, that's the next step. That's where Fanatics has a natural next step is to make this more entertaining and bigger entertainment than it's been. And we think and these streaming platforms are going to be critical to that because, again, most online shopping, you can't go back and forth with the people there's no exchange. There's no answering questions live. There's no interactivity, which is why people watch backyard breaks and some of these whatnot shows, because it is like a camaraderie and like a, a banter that you can't recreate in a static online retail setting. And so, yes, I think that's correct. But at the same time, valuation matters. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's best to be second to the party instead of first, because it's like drafting on someone in a race. The first guy has to break all the has to take all the the pressure from the wind coming on. But the guy drafting is just way less energy. The other guy's already paved the path that they get to follow. And there's a big advantage to that sometimes. You don't have to make the mistakes. You get to let someone else make the mistakes. And then you swoop in and are the beneficiary of someone else doing a lot of the hard work. And that's why I'm again, I'm gonna bet on a second or third platform now instead of number one, because I think that number one is paved along the way with a lot of expense and a massive amount of money. Same thing in grading. The original grading companies had a lot, they had to do a lot of stuff to pave the way for anybody with plastic to suddenly be a grading company. You know, it's really, they had to do a lot of work for that to be the case. There's yeah. an advantage sometimes of not being first to the party. Yeah, like look at what happened in Netscape and Alta Vista and uh, AOL, all these, they're, they're all they're all kind of done. But now. I will say, after all this talk, I think I, I'm going to have to call my guy. I think we should be selling, I think we should do a round let, let, our, let collectors and dealers invest in LEAF. And, you know, I think it'd be kind of fun, actually. And then we can have a shareholder. Then we can have a shareholder exclusive card every year or like whatever that only goes if you come to the shareholder meeting in Dallas. 
you get this exclusive crazy like 20 autograph booklet or something. Who knows? It could be fun. Okay. DR says, do you consider your CEO competitors as friends? 100%. I've had the pleasure of speaking to Michael Rubin. Um, great guy. I enjoyed it. Um, I had a, I, Mike Mahan, who's a new CEO there. I've had the pleasure of speaking to him before he was there. Back when he was still at Dick Clark and he was looking at Panini and other stuff. I've talked to him numerous times. Love him. Mark Warsop at Panini. Get along great. The Topps guys, I mean, I talked to Liner. They're all good guys. That's the thing. People act like the card companies are like the devil or the enemy. Like, I know these guys personally. They're good guys, generally. They really are. The people at all these companies really are not bad guys. Jason, Jason Mastro, you know, we had a lawsuit, but, like, I was friends with Mastro before that. Like, I'm I'm still friends with Mike Phillips and these guys. I think I'm going to send Mastro some barbecue soon, just to, like, a, hey, handshake, goodwill gesture. But, like, we're all in the same boat. The same way dealers and breakers should all be friends. Why take each other's legs out? You're invested in this business, and you're all in this together. Why would you go poking holes in a boat that you're going to rely on swimming in also? I consider all of them friends, and I think they're better, more interested in the hobby guys than you know what they get credit for. Okay, let's go to the next comment here from Steve Menzi. He says, so speak to the recent valuation of collectors. How can Turner, being Nat Turner, not take it public again at that number? I mean, yes, he's a collector, but he's an investor first. And I think I think for Nat Turner, and I listen, I, I'm not in his head. I'm not going to speak for the guy, but, if, but I think you could be a collector and still not be in and still sell your company and continue to collect. But all that said, um, I, yeah, maybe he's in the business of collecting companies. What is, as well what, is, what, is, what is collectors worth? I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you what, it was worth more six months ago. It was worth more 12 months ago. Cause here's one thing about grading and no one's going to want to hear this. We're in a race to 10. You know what I mean by that? We're in a race to 10. We're going to see how fast we get down to $10 for grading. We're in a race. I thought it was going to be a race for 20, but we blew past that. 20 was like nothing. 20, the support at 20, if it was a stock, it's just like that support just got its ass slapped down. It's over. It's a race to 10. $10 pricing. There will be $10 pricing. Even if it's in bulk or something, there will be $10 pricing. And here's the thing. With the amount of cards that were getting submitted at crazy high levels 12 months ago, I will guarantee the margins are shrinking at every grading company right now. Unless you're a startup and you had no revenue, now you have some revenue. But I believe the margins have shrunk across the board. $4.3 billion, again, I would be a shorter. And I love Nat. I met Nat for the first time in uh, at the National. I met with PSA's president. I like them, actually. I like them a lot. That's a stupid, that's a cuckoo valuation. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. It was better, and listen, April 22 was better than it is today also. No way. No way, Jose. No way, Jose. No way, Jose. Now, with that being said, people do stupid things. I like them better at 4.3 than I do whatnot at 3.75. That's for damn sure. Because they at least have real revenues. And they're the king in their space. But I think that may garner, that, to me, that justifies a 2 to $3 billion valuation. Maybe $4 billion plus is cuckoo. Again, I can be list of companies that are better. It's a big bet. Well, here, Ankesh says that collectors isn't done vertically integrating their entire business. Nat's play will be to sell eventually, but there is still growth there. Okay, 
Let's go now to this comment from Brody the Kid. He says, I'm curious for both you guys, will Whatnot or Loop be bigger in five years? He says, Loop doesn't have as many sellers, but they review and meet with the sellers to make sure they're doing everything right. Uh, I don't, Brody, I don't really know. Uh, From what I saw at the National, Whatnot made a statement unlike anybody else there. Uh, In the Breaker Pavilion, they had a whole row with like a carnival set up to a degree. And uh, if spending money is any indication of um, of which one is going to be bigger, um, Whatnot seems to have the budget, but uh, that's just from somebody like me walking around the show floor, observing what's in front of me. I do obviously have no idea what's going on in their books, so I can't speak to it with and any we're on, degree. we're on loop every Thursday at four o'clock. From four to five central, we're on loop doing breaks of upcoming leaf products where you can buy in early. And we, I mean, the difference is on whatnot, the average, like a backyard room has two to 400 people in it. And on loop, we're one of the biggest rooms and we get a hundred people. So like the size is not the same. I will say Brody is correct. They are very, very in touch with their sellers and they're very, they want to make sure they run a straight operation. But remember, they don't allow all these crazy, like, team breaks and all this crazy stuff they truly are retailing boxes for people to get the whole box they're not selling spots big difference in the business model very big business model difference but i found loop to be very professional i just think in a, in a hobby that unfortunately has too much gambling in it a website that caters to that customer is probably going to have a head start which is what whatnot has okay uh ed seat says do you think fanatics will do some sponsorship with some breakers I mean, honestly, they should probably own the breakers. Yeah. Right now, they can't buy them at the current valuations because their numbers are inflated too because everybody's made so much money. I mean, even a uh, even a, sh- a schmeckle like me has made a bunch of money. So, I mean, anyone can make money in this business. But these guys have made a lot of money. But they need to let these guys tighten the belt a little bit and then they can buy them. But why, why do they really need to let these guys make a ton of money in the middle? Like, if you think they're going to cut distributors because they don't want them to make too much money, the breakers are making huge money on what they're selling. And the fact is, if they were, if they cut off all the breakers and then went to them and said, hey, backyard, we'll pay you $250 an hour to do our breaks for us or 500 bucks an hour to do our breaks for us, they'd have to say yes because they have no business. So you can put them out of business and hire them for dirt cheap compared to the thousands and thousands they're making on these breaks. So like that's smart business. So I do think when you say a partnership, if you mean making them become your employees, super. You know, I think they could have a partnership, but I think they may narrow down and have approved breakers to wipe out all these little guys and focus just on the biggest five or seven. Or all right, let's go to Perk's comment here about grading. He says, what, Brian, what is your estimate for how long it takes a tech incorporating grading company like TAG, which I've had on, to take over or will it be collectors buying one of them before they get there? I think Collectors has Gemimit, and I think they believe they can use that for their benefit and, and do well with that. I don't see them buying a tech. I don't see them buying a tech grading company. I could see another player in the market maybe look at something like that because they don't have a Gemimit, the other three guys. So I can see someone else look at that. But again, I love some of the stuff I'm seeing out there, whatever that is, whether it's cool holders from our edition or the holder and some of the tech from this guy or, you know, whatever it is, or, or tag with their holder. I love tags holder. You know, whatever it is, I think there's something there, but let's don't underestimate 
it's a challenge to be a new company in any area in the industry. So a partnership makes a lot of sense for not only TAG or, or Rare Edition or whoever, AGS, or I don't know, can't keep up with HGA, whoever. Um, not only does it make sense for those companies, but it makes sense for some of the bigger companies too, because they can add like a new dimension to their business that doesn't exist now that makes a lot of sense. So I do, I do believe that there will be some partnering or something out there, but I don't think it's PSA. I think PSA is content with Gemma. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. And Kesh says we're gearing up for a fanatics versus collectors hobby war. It's going to be interesting. Do you see something like that playing out? No. Everybody in this business who's going to own the big companies that are left, A, there's antitrust stuff that needs to be carefully watched. That's why you're not going to see any wars going on. You understand this. We all want to be successful in an industry. I don't think Fanatics wants to create this monopoly that's going to hold people down and destroy them. I don't believe that's their plan at all. I believe they have good interests for the hobby long term. We'll see that in their actions over the next six months, year, two, three, four. But I think for me, I'm not looking to take the legs out of under out from under any of my competitors, Upper Deck or Fanatics, because I'll be the only two left. I'm not looking, if I'm a grading company, I'm not looking to like undermine other. We are all happy with how things are going right now. I can assure you there's no war. If anything, you might see these companies all start figuring out how they can work together. I think you could really start seeing, I think you're going to see companies like Collectors start to say, hey, why are we not working with the manufacturers closer to incorporate graded cards into these products? Hey, how are we not working with this group more to do that? Like, there's a lot of areas where companies can work together. And behind the scenes, it's already happening some. Because I can tell you, I'm sell I've sold some autographs to other companies, my competitors. I've supplied autographs to my competitors on people they couldn't get, but I could. So like in the old days, that would never have happened. I would have said, ha, 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 I got this guy and you couldn't. But now I'm like, hey, for the hobby's sake, it's best to give everyone the best chance to compete and put out great products. So I think people want to think there's some big war. But like the question earlier, are you friends with your competitors? Absolutely. freaking lutely. We get along great. Well, he he clarifies a bit. So let's just read. He says, not Monopoly, but M&A, mergers and acquisition, has consolidated between those two across different components. And there's plenty of space of many companies. So not war, but you know what I mean? Maybe it's just a race to, uh, to acquisitions. Well, the fact is, they're not the only two people with war chess now. There's a lot of other people with money who are dancing around the space. So like, and I can tell you, I, I had a deal with one. And we did walk away from the deal, thank God, because we're worth double what we were then. But like, you know, I'm telling you, there's other money out there. And if we wanted to do a raise and we opened it up to celebrities, we've had celebrities ask about investing, but it's like, do we really need this singer to buy 2% of Leaf? Like, what value do I get of that? He just wants to put some money in for fun. But I'm like, that doesn't give me any value. But if we do a round, you know, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe we'll find out how much money is out there. A lot of people have a little money, but not a lot of people have hundreds of millions they want to pour in the business. But there also aren't many targets besides Panini that are hundreds of millions. You know, that are not bullshit. Like, I mean, you know, companies, streaming companies that have no customers yet or tech that has no customers. You know, that's the wrong kind of $200 million company. But there's not that many $200 million plus companies, Upper Deck, us, maybe a few, that are really anyone might want to acquire. Most of the companies that are interesting are 10 to $50 million companies where I see opportunities. That's where it's at. And a lot of people have that kind of money now. Sounds like, it sounds like, I mean, I mean people do have money. So who knows? 
All right, man. Well, listen, we're at two hours here. Is there any good though? We're doing good. We did good so far. What else you got for me? Well, that's it. I I don't have any controversial. You have anything? I haven't really had to answer anything controversial. I mean, like you know, the one the one question about sports card radio came up, which you handled nicely. Well, it's not handling nicely. You know what's funny is I even I even kind of like them. I find them kind of entertaining, except for the they just make up stuff. But you listen, I watched TMZ before. And they make up stuff sometimes. I, I definitely read the National Enquirer when I was younger because I, I always thought those stories about the three-headed alien who like who dated Sandra Bullock or something. Like they had some stories that were so crazy. It was like, holy cow, how can you not read this dribble? But like, you know, at the end of the day, listen, if people talk about me or Leaf, we've done something right because we are noteworthy enough that we're a topic of conversation that they know will draw traffic. Like, that's a winner. That's a winner. Well, you're right. That's good. We've done good. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Anything else that anything else from the national, Brian? Any other like comments about just the state of the hobby, the 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 vibes, the energy that people were 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 communicating to you on the show floor? Anything else that you want to share? What I'm getting at is like. I want you to leave. I want to. We're gonna. There's more comments. We'll get to them in a minute. But I want you to kind of leave people with uh, who weren't at the national, who maybe don't go to card shows and are just following, you know, Instagram and Twitter and watching content on YouTube. Uh, to what's actually going on, in, you know, on on the ground at these card shows. For the first time ever in in a year, people have finally quit worrying about what they paid for something. Like, I, that's the least, because I go to the Dallas show, which is a big show now. And every time I go to the Dallas show, for the last year, all I heard was, well, I'm in that too high. I'm in that too high. I'm in that too high. This is the first time that I heard people say, okay, the comp's 200. I'll take 180, 170, whatever it is. The same people would have told me six months ago, well, I'm in that at 230. I can't sell it. And I think you're finally seeing the cracking of everything's going to bounce back automatically. And that's good. There are a lot of sellers, as I said. The number of sellers has grown dramatically. But again, it's not panic selling. It's just selling. People saying, I'd like to have some cash. I'd like to have some dry powder just in case. And a lot of guys need the dry powder because they bet on same kind of guys that have the briefcases with all 5K cards. Those are the guys who have Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Ethereum. And they're the same guys who bought crypto and NFTs, half of them. And you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So I think from the national, what I took away is guys are more willing to sell than they have been. There are quite a few sellers. Again, that's a good thing, I think, not only a bad thing. I do think the sentiment from dealers is we need to go away from some of these cities and like be like Comic-Con and just be in Chicago every year. And I think that's one that I would support huge. And I would tell them, listen, go to Chicago and tell them, boot the other show out of town and only let the national be in Rosemont. Don't let any other shows be in Rosemont. And just do the national there. But we did hear a lot. I did hear a lot of complaining about the city stuff. Yeah. They don't want to go to Baltimore. They don't want to go to Cleveland. They don't want to go to Atlantic City. They want to go to Chicago. That's well, where they're central. Go. It's just central for everybody. The show they draws on international in America. Okay. Um, I want to uh I want to just say about, about the show floor. You know, you said there are a lot of sellers. I think what's I think something I learned at the show was that a lot of people are that are holding inventory that might be down in value, they're learning and they're realizing that, well, it, it's, it doesn't make sense to keep on holding it because you don't want to lose money, sell it, 
bring in the cash and then go buy something that you think has some upside. That's just a smart approach, I believe. I did a deal. Uh, it's the biggest non-cash deal of my life in the hobby. I did on the show floor with a fellow collector, a, a hobby friend of mine. And I'm going to get into detail with it when I come back live in about 15 minutes on my late show. Um, where, you know, I wasn't expecting him to want to do one of these deals with me, but he did it because he wanted to, he wanted fresh inventory. He just wanted something, he wanted to, you know, the cards had sat there for a few shows. He was ready for new inventory. And I think that's what a lot of people are starting to, to move towards. Um, let's go to this. They're going to do this one here from Ankesh again. He says, uh, what type of hobby content is missing or we need more of that would be valuable, Brian? Well, I think two things. First, I will tell you from speaking to some of the other companies in the business, I think there's a sentiment with manufacturers. They'd like there to be less autographs in the products. And like we've relied on these products. These products have become so autograph driven that you I, know, I think we have to be a little careful about that. But what we're doing now, look at Pop Century. We incorporated concert tickets. Brian, Brian, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. The comment is about hobby content, like, like what yeah, we're doing what right now. Yeah, so like what we're going to do is we're going to incorporate more content like creators or content like in the products. Creators. Creators, okay. Um, I think for creators, what we need right now is we probably need true experts to talk about cards and not all the other bullshit. Like, I think it'd be so cool to have a show where, you know, again, I come up with you, this is phenomenal. By the way, by the way, anything Brian says here to all the other content creators watching, I claim first to have that content. No, but here's the thing. How do I not just go on Instagram Live and not just talk to people sometimes? Like, I think there's something there that when people want to interact with you, I should be interacting with people. It doesn't have to be scheduled, but I should just be popping on when I have a free hour and just say, hey, guys, what's up? And just yeah, talk for idea. an hour. Or when I'm dealing with some of the biggest names in the world, how am I not just saying, hey, Robert De Niro, when we do our signing, would it be cool if we just insta live for like two minutes? So you can say hi to Leaf Collectors. I mean, how freaking cool is that? But like, we don't leverage what we do in social media correctly. I don't leverage the fact that I care about customers and they actually want to interact with me. I don't leverage that correctly. So I think what we're missing in the content world is the people we're talking about aren't participating in the process. It's a bunch of smart guys like you who really are able to process and analyze these things. That's, and that's important. But why do the horses never open their mouths so we can hear it from them? There's value to that. And so I think that's what we're missing. And I think with Fanatics, I think you're going to hear, I think you will see a, diff, a little bit different world on their side. And you know I'm never going to be short for words. We're just going to find ways to leverage that better. But if we're talking about content, as in, I thought we were talking about product content. But if we're talking about content creators, the people we're talking about need to start talking themselves sometimes. Fair. I think that'd be really good for the hobby. Okay, good stuff. Let's go to Alex Goche's comment here. He says, do you think that big time breakers are getting boxes with high-end cards from certain companies to get more interest in the product? He says, it's pretty suspect that big time breakers are getting so many high-end cards lately. And, and I'll tell you, I mean, I know who he's referring to, and I, I've heard the same things. Here's the thing. Some of these breakers, you have to remember, the breaker, Alex, you're referring to, has four break rooms that are running big, basically... 20 hours a day. I mean, they're opening more high-end product than anybody else pretty much. I mean, it's really that site and Leighton who are probably the two biggest. And 
they're opening so much product. It'd be easy to say, well, lately it's all the big cards. Well, they're opening freaking 50 cases of flawless. Of course, you're going to hit some big cards. Sure, Backyard is going to hit some big cards. I 1,000%, knowing the guys at Panini, there is no chance they're loading Backyard's cases. No chance. Zero. Because I'll tell you what, you can criticize what you don't like about companies or do, but the guys who are handling this at Panini are people of high ethics. I know them personally. The guys at Topps are of high ethics. And even Upper Deck, who I was in a lawsuit with, I believe the people packing these products and distributing them are of high ethics. Yeah, I think I... 100%. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. Listen, I don't know for sure. I don't know the people at Panini, uh, but... but... It just doesn't. I don't think that they would do that. It, it's just such a such a poor strategy, and uh, the stuff's getting broken anyway. So, and it's getting broken fast. Um, okay, that's going to be it. That's. Oh, I want to thank you, Justin, for that comment. Uh, really appreciate that. Very nice. Jeremy's thank good. You. Thank you for that. All right, man, Brian. That's it. We're going to end it. I'm I'm going to come back live in about ten minutes on After Hours, same channel here. Going to go through my personal experience and pickups at the national little Q and a with, with respect to that. I'll go through all the cards I picked up the deals I made as much as I can remember about them. So please join me back here on a new stream. And again, in a few minutes, Mark, we're not going to turn this into after hours, but I will come back with a separate stream um, called after hours on sports cards live here in a few minutes. Again, tomorrow, seven o'clock Eastern on collectible live. On this channel, also streaming to the Collectible YouTube channel, will be Warren Lawfer from the Mint 10 Investment Fund. That's going to be an awesome episode tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that one. Thank you, Ankesh. Great questions and comments tonight from you and many of the rest of you. Thank you, Currency Project. Chris Barr in the house. Always good to see you, buddy. TP, thank you very much. If you want to subscribe to the channel, please go ahead and do so. Thank you, for everyone, for joining. BG, say goodbye, and then we're done. Thanks, guys. I'm glad you hopefully I said anything that resonated with you at all. If I said one thing that resonates with you, it was worth the two hours. And Jeremy, please make sure I stay the most appearances of a guest. Anything short of that, I will start shopping my services to the highest bidder. So I expect <laughs> to be number one. So if you have someone on here as many times as me, I need to immediately be scheduled again. Got it. You're no my guy. And you do a great job. For real, Jeremy, you do a great job. Because honestly, you. I quit doing media stuff. Like I quit going on with people because it's it's only worth it if it's intelligent discussion that's really, you know, thought provoking and behind the curtain and viewers really come there and your viewers are great. There, There's lots of them and you do yeah. a great job. So oh whatever, just so you know, I'm a fan of yours. You do a great, you're my friend too, but you do a great job. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. We had, we had great viewership tonight. So thanks again, everybody. We got lots of thank you, Dave Snyder. Thank you, LA. Uh, I always forget how to say your name, LaShwine. Thank you, Justin Bode, Brody the Kid, Brian Basketballs. Thanks, everybody. I am ending this one. That is it. We'll see you hopefully soon on After Hours. I'll be back. Give me 10 minutes. Good night. You got it. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.